All right, boys and girls, welcome to the Bass Kayak and Beers podcast. This is the real life, your boy Armando. We're going to have a great episode for you today. One of, uh, in my opinion, one of the best podcasts you're going to listen to when it comes to, I mean, I'm going to say it just overall, not just about bass fishing, but a podcast, whether you're a fisherman or not, that you probably enjoy, would love, enjoy listening to is Bobby Rosepicks from the jigs and bigs um and i am super excited to have him on the podcast uh as far as i usually do my uh weekly summary but like if you heard the previous podcast i am away on vacation so this is a pre-recorded episode it's not a live show um and so i'm recording back-to-back episodes on the same day and I'm still a little bit under the weather, so I apologize if you hear me coughing, if you hear me snorting or sneezing. Uh, but we're going to pull through and get this episode. But again, I am super excited about having Bobby Roast Beef in our show. If you haven't listened to Jigs and Bigs, you're totally missing out. It is a fun episode, which uh, I'm sure you can relate to if even if you're not a bass fisherman. Because it's just entertaining. It's in his blood, and we're going to talk about... His personality, um, his job outside of podcasting, which kind of correlates with what he does. So you you're gonna enjoy this episode. So, anyways, if you follow me on social media, uh, just remember Bass Kayak and Beers on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you're not following me, you can start following me there. You can listen to our podcast on our MP3 platforms on pretty much every podcast streaming platform. And if you can, we will love it if you give us your reviews. Also, if you listen on Spotify, we do have some questions and answers um, that you can leave your comments. Tell us what you love about the show. Tell us where we can do better. And any future guests or future subjects you want us to tackle on the this episode, or I'm sorry, on this podcast, whether it's Bass Kayak and Beers, The Real Life, or The Advanced Kayak Angler, which is hosted by Dan Perry. So anyways, enough about me. Let's bring in our guest, Bobby Rose Beef. Or I should say Rob Charette. Yes. That is my real name. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Awesome, man. Excited Mm -hmm. to have you on the podcast. I've been listening to you since uh, that episode you did, I'm going to say two or three years ago, where Mm -hmm. there was a collaboration between you, um, Serious Angler Podcast, I think, Baby Eichbert. I think Baby Eichbert was the one who hosted that podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrew Hayes from Tackle Talk Podcast. And one of my favorite people in the world, Brian Shuler, the OG from Paddle and Finn. And since then, I've listened. I haven't listened to every episode, I'll admit to that. But I've really enjoyed listening to some of your episodes. Brings a lot of energy. But before we dive in into your episode, Mm -hmm. I know that we can't talk about Jigs and Bigs without talking about Bobby Rose Beef and how this all got started. Because I love the story of, you know, how you got to where you are, not just in the podcast, but in your professional life. So yep. tell us a little bit about who Bobby Rose Beef Eve and how do we got here? So, you know, we were, we were talking about earlier and, and basically the timeline goes like this. I have always wanted to work in radio. I've always been fascinated with radio. Um, I, it's part of how I, I got the interest to become a DJ. Um, 
it all kind of works together. Like when I was a young kid in middle school, I can remember I had a, uh, a stereo that had a uh, dual cassette deck and I used to make mixtapes all the time. And I used to take an old set of headphones and plug them into the mic jack and use that as a microphone. Uh, so in order to record my own voice and when I would do a mixtape, it was a mixtape, but there was like an announcement in between and I would queue up songs and it was wild. Um, and I would do this with a friend of mine. Eventually that would turn into a DJ business. This was in, this was 30 years ago. This month marks 30 years in the DJ industry. And I started with him just doing like school events, you know, dances and proms and things. Eventually we started doing college events. Uh, and that was, that was a blast. That was, that was probably some of the most fun DJing I've had in my life. Some of those parties were absolutely great. Then we would do like the occasional like corporate Christmas party or something like that. And it was just sort of kind of small stuff. It got to a point where my buddy and I were we were both in college at the time. He was changing schools. We had an apartment together in, in the small town I lived in. And uh, he moved off to upstate New York, uh, you know, uh, with his, his family was out that way now. And he moved out there to change schools. I actually moved back home with my folks and we, we divided the business. I took the music library. He took all the hardware, all of the, the mixers and all the PA equipment and everything. And that's we just kind of dissolved the business there. Right about that time is when I took a job uh, in television, uh, my first job in television. And actually, I take that back. It was my only job in television. I worked there for almost like 18 years. It was crazy. So I got into TV as a production assistant. And this is because I had I had tried to get into radio and had the interest from such a young, young age. I went to a vocational school that offered a program in radio that uh, eventually they dissolved when I had finally got to the age where that program was opened up to me. Uh, so I had worked in electronics. That was my shop of choice. And uh, in there, I managed to get uh, an opportunity to work in television at a local like public access channel and it was just kind of like getting my feet wet as far as like how these cameras work how the lighting works how to do all of these little tasks that uh, a production assistant basically would need to know so i went into college into the telecommunications uh, field um based off of that knowing a little bit already and then after a couple of years i managed to land this job in tv so at this point you know, I, I had still I wanted to work in radio, but now was meeting people in broadcasting. And I started to realize that really in working in radio, there's very little money and there is only slightly more money available if you work in television. It's not the glamorous job that some people think it is at all. You get to like major market or something and it's a different animal, but you got a lot of people there that live like at home like oh yeah i rent a room from my uncle or you know you or or like they inherited a house or something like that you get you know and, and that just seems for the most part or they they married rich you know what i mean it's one of those things it's very difficult to get by having a family and at this you know like i said 18 years i worked there the, at this point i was married with two children we had just bought a house and uh you know during that time, after my DJ business had kind of dissolved, I got into working to supplement my income. I got into working for another DJ company and I learned a lot about working weddings in there. Um, that's where sort of the MC skills really started to sort of come to be. When I owned my own previous company with my buddy, uh, my buddy Tony, all the time, anytime that we had to make a, a, an announcement for anything, he would you could almost see it in him like his fear of getting on the mic you know and, and and i had the same fear like i did not like public speaking i i couldn't do this back then with the 
sort of unhinged freedom that I do now. It, it's literally just doing this over and over and over again until you get comfortable with it. And I would take the mic and I would make my announcements and hey, it was great. And I had, uh, you know, while I was working in television, I, I actually had the opportunity to do some voiceover work for the station. And this works out really good because they don't pay you like a freelancer. They pay you like a $25 bonus to record a, you know, a, a voice on a commercial that they're going to literally make thousands of dollars. <laughs> um, and, and that's, no I love that, you know, nobody, nobody wants that. So they'll make, I mean, when I say thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars on, so I would record a spot and, you know, I kind of created like a lineup of tapes. In fact, actually, I, I forgot to talk about this. So uh, the first real kind of break that I realized that I kind of had was I wrote a commercial in college for a, a company called crank Two O, and what crank Two O makes is um, carbonated, uh, not carbonated, caffeinated water, bottled water with caffeine. And I had the opportunity to record a commercial at two of the biggest radio stations for a kid. My age at that time, rock radio was just like, this was at like the peak. Um, we had mentioned earlier, Howard Stern. Um, do you remember Opie and Anthony from XM radio? vaguely little i remember his name but i don't remember listening yeah. to his show so so um uh i forget one of the one of these guys i think it was anthony had uh very controversial and left the show basically he got canceled oh yeah 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 was, yeah so then opie kind of took over and did his yeah. thing i recorded my commercial with them like it was wild. And I had, it was an internship. So I had, I had produced a television commercial for this company. I was like, I need an internship. I need some internship credits. Let me put this together. I put a commercial together and I contacted the company because I knew their offices were right around the corner from the school. So they come by and they look at it. They're like, this is amazing. They're like, unfortunately, we don't have the budget for television, uh, for advertising on TV because you know, TV advertising is way more expensive than <laughs> radio advertising, uh, which is probably why you don't make squat and radio. So yeah, yeah. they uh, had asked me, could you just write a really good engaging spot and put it together? So I did. They loved it. It was it was the, this commercial was was definitely a little flash of what was going to happen with jigs and bigs because there was a ton of innuendo in this commercial. It was ridiculous, but it had to be safe for the radio for them to play. So it was very tongue in cheek and it was awesome. I would hear this spot on the, on the, on the radio and people would call me and say, Oh my, I just heard you on the radio. That is crazy. I had some of my friends do other voices. It was, it was great. Um, I had, uh, and that was when the bug really bit, like, that's what I wanted to do. And I just knew that the money wasn't there. So I worked in television, worked in television, worked in television. I eventually stopped working for this other disc jockey company so that I could focus on playing live music. And, uh, that worked out great again, until we got to the point where like, you know, wife, kids, house, all of this stuff is coming together. And I had decided at that point, I was going to start taking events. I had a, a former coworker reach out to me and she was getting married and she asked about doing uh, her wedding. And I said, I'd, I'd love to. 
that'd be great. So I contacted my my buddy who was in upstate New York and I said, Hey, do you still have that PA gear? I was like, if not, I can rent stuff. But, um, you know, if you've got that, I'd rather just use that. And he says, absolutely. Come pick it up. So we had a great conversation. He's like, dude, run with it. And, and initially we had toyed around with the idea of me handling stuff in New England and him handling stuff in upstate New York. Um, he's just got a lot going on. His kids are much younger than I, than mine. So he doesn't have it to put into the business. So I eventually grew this business to where I could just work on my own full time. And it got to a point where working in television, I had been sitting on a letter of resignation for a while. And I'd already talked to my wife about just doing this full time. And I was just waiting for the right opportunity. And the, the right opportunity uh, eventually did present itself. I had a boss that gave me a uh, annual review and um, had some questions a, about my my uh, what he called a side hustle, though it was the majority of my income at that time. And I told him, I said, listen, I go, I go, you're asking me for 40 hours of my week where this is not the primary source of income. I said, if you can pay me enough to make it worth it to where I don't need to take, you know, uh, a phone call or something uh, while I'm here, I'm like, go ahead. And I gave him a number and he laughed at me. And the next morning I dropped off my letter of resignation and it was the most liberating thing ever. I wanted to touch on that yeah. uh, before we go on, because I think. It's not, you know, it's not just about the money. It's yeah. about you want me to give up my dream of, you know, doing what I love doing. Yeah. You know, there's really no price for that. Is now no. is there? Now you now understand when you're a family man, you have to say, okay, well, I'm a family man. I, I gotta pay the bills. Pay the bills, get my kids through school, college, whatever I need to do. And at some point maybe you have to decide if the money's there i'll sell out my dream yeah to make you have a better brighter future for my kids for sure so it's not about okay this is how much it's not about comparing the money that you were making on your quote unquote side hustle yeah it's the money this is like it's not just you know paying me enough to cover that for giving that up it's paying me enough to give up my dream and yeah. something that I love doing and that yeah. has a price on it. Yeah, that, exactly. You know, if you're going to negotiate on that, the only thing, the only chip for me to give up that is the future of my family. That's exactly it. That's exactly what it came down to. It was I there's a value on this time that I'm giving you 40 plus hours a week and I'm also running a business on that and actually at this time I was still playing live music as well. Um, and this was about a window in time, like this was about a year or so after I had started actually hosting trivia, because this was an element that sort of was out of the demand. Like I would I would DJ in bars when I started my business just to get the exposure and get private bookings. But it's really hard to make that lucrative when you're just basically spinning music that people could just play on a, on a, on a jukebox. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard to draw folks in. So that's when I got into game shows and I started with I got really I, I think this is 100 percent luck that just like our paths crossed at the right time there was a software company in the uk that uh they're called speed quizzing and there was nobody in the us uh, except for maybe one or two people um that had just started hosting this game and i had reached out to them and started using their their software and eventually worked my way it took a, a few years but I, I eventually now i represent them across the entire us so when some host in florida ohio california is having difficulty with their system and they call tech support in the US my phone rings so i'm i'm in charge of all their stuff as well um 
And I work with a with a guy. We do some trade shows and stuff. And this sort of kind of opened the doors a little bit and let me realize that there was a lot more. And it was at that point we started doing this that I was just like, I don't need to work in television anymore. I'm like, I don't even know why I'm here. And it was just waiting for that reason to leave. And that that reason was exactly what I needed to hear. Just like you said, not valuing the time that I'm giving you, you know, one thing that to mention and to touch on is you said you got this software that was like trivia quiz from mm -hmm. um, the UK. I a few years ago, actually in 2016, my wife and I went to South Africa. So uh -huh. they're very high, heavily influenced by British television. Oh, yeah. they are. So when I was in the hotel room at night and I would watch some of their talk shows and trivia talk shows with celebrities, I, I was like, how do we not have this in the U.S.? Because yeah. there I mean, they there were several and I can't remember all of all of them. But there were several shows that I was like, man, this is gold. Yeah. And just the fact that they, they provide, you know, it's funny that that software that you got is from the UK because it oh, really, yeah. if you listen to their talk shows, it's in their blood. They love doing exactly kind of like fun quiz test, mm -hmm. still, like not even game shows, just talk shows that are just awesome. And I was like, man, this is gold over here. And you think a lot of the TV shows now are just like The Office, which is one of the biggest sitcoms in the United States. Mm -hmm. That's from the UK. And there's others, one the example. The one thing about hosting a, a trivia game show, yep. when you think about it, that's another element that I don't think a lot of people understand. When you remember The Price is Right, Bob Barker, like oh, yeah. it, you can't think of the prices right without thinking about Bob Barker. Absolutely. You know, that's it it the um the personality, the host has to have this captivating personality. Yeah. That draws the audience in and his name is gonna be synonymous with that game show. And that's not easy to pull out. Heck, I was my uh foster daughter who just got married a couple of weeks ago, she asked me to yep. MC her wedding, and I was like, Oh yeah, sure, I'll do that. Once I got the mic, I was like, what am I, what am I doing here? Like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Where's the script on this? Oh, yeah. And it's that balance of like, you want to entertain the crowd, but you want, you don't want it. You have to realize, well, in this case, obviously very different than a game show. Mm -hmm. The stars of the shows are the, are the, are the wedding couple. Exactly. Not me. You yep. have to be, it's to borrow a line from one of my favorite movies, Ocean's Eleven, when he says, you have to be, uh, how is it? You have to be forgetful but impactful at the same time. Yep. And that's yeah. that's not. I mean, it, that's not something you can just say. Hey, I have this dream. Let me do it, and automatically you're going to be doing. There's a lot of like your background into this, mm -hmm. like your DNA and your personality works with it. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of like it's this path that's been laid down before you since you yep. were little to get to this spot. It is the weirdest, yeah. weirdest sort of occupation. And like, it, it's so funny. Uh, one of my cousins, when I first started doing trivia, I, I was talking to him because, you know, he's 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 worked for himself for a long time. And we were talking and I was like, yeah, man, I think this is this is the thing. And he's like, dude, you got to do what you got to do. And ironically, um, this was where I was doing sound for my family. My family uh, owned a, a dance studio. For a long time and i would handle all of the 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 audio side all the music um editing songs putting things together and then doing the playback and everything and it was crazy he was like yeah he's like you're good at this you should be doing something with this 
like, you know, it's great that you work in television and you enjoy what you do, but like, if you can get out on your own and do it. And that's where like the Bobby Rose beef brand really only kind of became a thing in 2005 and not in the world of podcasting, DJing game shows or anything, but that, that brand kind of came into play in live music because he, like I was, I was a drummer and I mentioned earlier a bad one, but a drummer nonetheless. <laughs> and what I would do is, so I was, I can remember this day crystal clear. I was uh, setting up the, the studio space where my, myself and, and the bass player of this band that I was in uh, were, were getting things ready. And this guy, he and I were like, we were probably separated at birth. Uh, like I have lived in New England my entire life. He grew up in uh, Staten Island, but like our personalities and everything, it was like the perfect link. And the fact that we were the rhythm section of the band was perfect because it was, it was, we would play off of each other and improv and songs all the time. And it was awesome. And I remember we were just making small talk and he was like, so what'd you do this weekend? And, and at the time I was, uh, my wife and I weren't together. Our firstborn uh, was with us. And I was like, yeah, I just spent the weekend hanging out with Chloe. He's like, Oh, that's great, man. You and Chloe hanging out all Bobby roast beef style. And I was like, what? And I loved it. And he says, and I was like, I was like, where the hell did that come from? He's like, Oh, he's like, I don't know. I'm just kind of riffing on like the the character from Goodfellas, Johnny Rose Beef. Oh, yeah. Untimely end. And I'm like, of course, like there isn't a guy on this planet that doesn't have that movie in their top 10 favorites. I'm like, I'm going to hang on to that. I'm going to utilize That's a that. classic. Oh, it is. And I started I started using that because like I would play drums for uh, I would I would back up on uh, a, a, a musician and I was really, really good with promotion. That was the thing I brought to the table with live bands. I was really, really good with getting the word out and promoting and putting people in a room for an event. Um, but the thing is, it's like I wasn't writing songs. My name wasn't on any of this stuff. So what I would do is I would just use this name, Bobby Rose Beef, almost as like a production label. And people would get familiar with that. And it meant something. And then this transitioned when I got back into DJing, like I actually, it's so funny. I, I have it. It's buried in this pile across the, the basement from where I am, but there isn't a sign from when I worked for that other company as a DJ. And it says, you know, DJ Rob with like all kinds of like glitter and stuff on it. And I used to have to put that sign up on my setup every single time. How many DJ Robs are there in the world? Too many, too many. It's not memorable. You know, and I've always had this saying, you want to be you want to leave them wanting more. But what good is that if they don't remember you? So using the name Bobby Roast Beef made me stand out. It's something that people would would remember. And ironically enough, just last night, I was talking with one of the servers at the bar that I worked at for my game show. And she said, I have been meaning to tell you this for months. She says, Every single week, at least once, somebody comes in and asks about you, but messes up your name. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. She goes, so I've been running a list. And she had like a couple of them that were like her favorites were uh, Beefy Mike. Beefy <laughs> uh, Mike. Beef Boy. Um, and then I forget what the other one was, but I'm just like, hey, I'm going to take it. And I asked her, I said, do me a favor and DM those to me so I can uh, line them up with my Google search SEO so that, you know, when folks are looking for, you know, looking me up, but are getting it wrong, they at least get pointed to the right direction, you know? So it, it's just kind of, kind of wild. So I, it, it really came to about branding for me, 
You know, that's how that's what it, what, what it really was. And I, that's why I use Bobby Rose beef for everything, whether it's the fishing podcast, whether it's my trivia podcast, whether it's the game show, whether I'm DJing somebody's wedding, whether I'm officiating a wedding. When I'm officiating a wedding, I'm Padre roast beef. You know, people love it. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> you know, they love it. <laughs> what? Um, so y- you wear different hats. If you mm-hmm. ha- if you had to stick with one hat for the rest of your life, and that's going to be not money related. Let's just say e- either related. one of those hats yep. will give you the same amount of money. Yeah. Which one would you go with? The podcasting, one hundred percent. Yep. Yep. Full control. I love it. It's it's my canvas, you know, um, and and it's the thing that I feel like I really do create, and it's brought me like I lo- don't get me wrong, I love hosting trivia. I I do. I really love it. In fact, most of my old band members have asked me. They're like, "Here's a quick story. I went out to go see a band with uh, a guy that uh, he, he played harmonica in a, in a blues band that I was in, and he had uh, he and I went out to go see this group, and we went out for a couple of beers after the show, and we went to a bar where I hosted trivia, and this was like on a Saturday night, sports bar, and there again, like like I mentioned earlier, a lot of these bars have like identity identity crisis. They're trying to be everything at once. So this sports bar had a DJ, a bunch of college kids. It was a mess. So we go walking in and we're, you know, he's what, geez, Lenny's got to be 60 now. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's got some years on me. So we're walking in to go grab a couple of drinks. And he's like, yeah, but man, like, does, does hosting trivia really scratch that itch for performing? Like, are you really getting that out of it? And I was like, absolutely, you know, genuinely. And then ironically enough, these two college girls that play my game regularly come up. They're like, Oh my God, Bobby Rose beef. You come out at night and like socialize. It's my God. And he just stopped and looked and he was like, what is this for real? Like people notice you and call you by your brand while you're out. I'm like, yeah, it, it is. And I was like, and the performance end of it, it does it, you know, I'm like, and it's something I get to control. I'm not just playing drums for somebody else backing them up, you know, I'm now I'm creating what I'm doing, but podcasting is that on an entirely different level. Yeah. Like it's, there are, there are six weddings that I have worked right now because of the podcast directly, because the bride or the the groom or the bride have said, I want Bobby Rose beef to, you know, entertain at our wedding. A couple of them I've done the ceremony, which is crazy to me. And, you know, Last summer, I had a wedding where the groom came up to me and he goes, he's like, oh, I saw your truck with the hook set hoodlum sticker. And I got like so excited. <laughs> I'm just like, really? Awesome, man. I hope I deliver. <laughs> and and I did. It was great. You know, we had a good time. But yeah, podcasting is the definite like that's the one where and I joke that that podcasting is my retirement plan. Once I can make it to where I'm able to actually make a living doing the podcasting. And I believe that day is going to come. Yes. I, if um, anybody can do it, I think you can do it. Honestly. Yeah. I think that day is going to come. I'm going to scale back big time. And what like, I'm probably going to be hosting game shows until I die, you know, or until I open my mouth and something tremendously offensive. comes out, And I'm <laughs> unaware of the ability. We are, we're only one syllable away from honestly oh, getting God. canceled especially when you get you know it's not like my podcast you know it's very niche but yours you have a brand that uh, yeah it really could like 
literally one syllable kind of and we bring down your empire in a way you're always going to have your core yeah. followings but you gotta going mainstream and yeah you gotta be sponsors. careful yeah. and we do actually it's funny like i mean we this last episode that we did i mean we weren't even 15 minutes in and we were talking about cannabis yeah. i mean no, you know, i was it, listening to that one i thought it was funny it's like yeah this is this is not the typical uh no, fishing yeah. um episode of fishing episodes yeah or podcasts and i think oh yeah would tune in and think anybody that picked that as the first episode they oh listen God. to jason biggs i'm like what am i listening to and, <laughs> and and i don't mean that in an offensive way or in a, or in a negative way i'm just saying yeah. for somebody that's new that has listened shocking. to your podcast that's one of it do you have to listen a little bit more listen to a, a few others if that's not your thing because it's more than that yeah, it's a lot more than that. It, it really is. And it's so funny. It's like it's even like when when I book guests on the show, I don't I don't really necessarily target folks. It's like I would love to talk about that. Like there are some instances where I do a good example is when we had Alex Rudd co-host yeah. on our show. And it, we it was we were specifically talking about that was a good show. by the way. Episode. That was oh, man, he is the greatest. Yeah. I love that dude. He's awesome. But like it was a great conversation that he had on his show. And I felt like I was I was like, there are people that are not going to listen to that fishing podcast that we will reach. So let's have that conversation here. And I thought it was really, really great. But like that's one of those rare instances where somebody's talking about something that's timely and I want to get them involved. But like, you know, our, our last guest uh lance clark um our our guest that's coming up jeremy seabolt uh, all of these guests they're just you know they they have something that they're doing maybe it's on the tournament level maybe it's on the content level um maybe it's it's got to do with like a, a brand or, or they represent a brand and there's a product that they want to talk about whatever it might be i kind of just like to speak put that spotlight everywhere and i think that the thing that really kind of makes that very apparent was when we had that 12 year old kid Vinny on the show yeah throwing senkos and this came about because it's a friend of the show knew uh him and was just like this kid is a riot and he is actually i gotta get him a jig kit and some stickers but yeah so let's talk a little bit about you know how you've evolved or yeah, evolved yep. into what you have now. When, when you talk about radio, you were we're kind of contemporary here, so yep. we we've seen the rise and kind of fall of radio or talk show radios. You know, we remember. You know, we were talking about the pre-recording Casey Kasem, Kid Craddock was a legend. Oh yeah, Howard Stern here in Texas, Russ Russ Martin. Yeah, I think it was Russ Martin. I always get yep. confused with the catchers, uh, the catcher from Major League Baseball. But Russ Martin, that was another one that unfortunately he passed away way too early. But those were the last strongholds of talk show radio. Mm -hmm. Before now, it's really the if it's not dead, we can safely say at least the golden age of radio talk show is gone. gone. Yeah, it's completely gone. And for better or worse, I think. Honestly, I think for better in the sense that this new social media venues and, you know, alternate forms of entertainment mm -hmm. and um, streaming services have opened up where, you know, now not you're not controlled by corporate mentalities or corporate yep. cookie cutter. This is what you have to say. This or, is what you cannot say. Yeah. Or, or this is what you have to promote. Yeah, exactly. One, one of my favorite uh 
uh, podcast that I listen to, and not that I listen more on YouTube, is Dan Libertard. They used to be in Stooks. I forgot his last name. From um, this crew that used to work on ESPN radio and television. Yep. Now that they were fired from ESPN, they have their own talk show. And Stooks, I mean, and Dan Libertard talk so liberally about you know, what it meant to be in a sellout and being on that niche where it's like, this is very corporate mentality to now Mm -hmm. we can free to talk about what we talk about and how it has evolved. When you look at that, you know, growing up with somebody that, you know, wanted to be in radio talk shows since he was young to where it is now, what's been your biggest influence? So it's funny, like, I mean, you know, those names, Casey Kasem and Howard Stern, Howard Stern, obviously, is an obvious one to pair together. Yeah, I think like my biggest influence. So a lot of people will say and and ask like, oh, yeah, so you're a DJ, you know, obviously your your, your influences must be Jazzy Jeff or Jam Master Jay or, you know, some of these like true like turntablist artists. Um, For me, it's different. Like my influence really comes my primary influence is Wolfman Jack. He is my favorite like DJ music icon because he meant so much to the music. Yeah. But also like he 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 had a brand. The way he looked was part of his brand. The sound of his voice was part of his brand. All of this stuff kind of worked together. And when whether it was, you know, his radio shows or you're watching when he was on TV, uh, you kind of knew exactly what that was. And I feel like like somebody like Howard Stern kind of like followed right into that. And then, you know, really sort of when the technology changed, because that's what it what it got down to was that once terrestrial radio had something to go to and, and it became satellite radio and you had that. Now you yeah. had the difference because satellite radio didn't have the same constraints that terrestrial radio did with the FCC and everything. So you could do stuff that was a lot more free for the most part. But there's still corporate constraints at that point, you know, Um I think Stern laid down a lot of the groundwork for a lot of folks, maybe even unknowingly. Um, And like when his show went and I I like to the thing I think that makes it so obvious is almost like a, 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 a like he saw this in the future was the fact that he would do his live show and he would do the TV show and then run the TV show on E!, and everybody would be able to watch it there. Yeah. So there was there was a visual component to it. And, and it's like that kind of became, you know, you see this in sports radio, too. You know, like up, up here, we've got, you know, sports radio broadcasters, a sports station, Nesson, N-E-S-N. And, you know, they'll do their radio broadcast. But it's a there's a television element there yeah. where people can watch this on their TV. So it's being in multiple places at other times. Take that technology and then ramp it up again. And now you've got smartphones in everybody's hands with streaming capabilities, the ability to download content to play it back. And the original podcast, that's what it was. You would download a huge MP3 and play it back. And your RSS feed would just feed that to you every single time that you subscribed. It would be in your inbox ready to listen to. Now it's everywhere. You know, now you can you're like our podcast is on Facebook. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, it is insane. So like. You know, the technology is a major player there. I think uh, is I don't I don't really know that there's a podcaster so much that's had any type of real like influence directly on what I'm doing right now, mainly because I still feel like the podcast world is the Wild West. Like oh, yeah. and Lewis and Clark. Like, you know, I mean, we're we're finding out where we can go. Um, I was just listening to an episode of Cast and Crank. 
And yeah. in, in there, um, they were talking about how like, oh, yeah, you know, we might get more sponsors or something if we didn't drop so many F-bombs or whatever. But at the same time, like there's value in knowing that you can be organic and authentic to yourself and, 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 and to your audience so that your audience doesn't, like I said earlier, like smell a fake, you've got to be organic, but that audience is eventually going to get to a point where the corporate sponsorships, they're going to see value in that and say yeah, like, yeah. well, maybe it is a good idea to, uh, I don't know if I can curse on your, uh, on your show, but you know, it's, we're going to, we're going to partner with this company who says these six or seven words that we don't necessarily agree with something like that. I mean, at the beginning of all the shows, it's in my trivia show. I do this. I play a disclaimer, you know, because there are people that get offended by the questions yeah. I might ask. You know, and, and I don't even write these questions. I buy them mm -hmm. so that this way, you know, I never know what I'm going to ask. Like current events questions is specifically just get people completely unglued. So it's like it's one of those things where, you know, it, as long as, you know, you know, your audience well and that audience is continuing to grow. Who knows what the future is going to be? Yeah, it's interesting oh, because. Um, you mentioned that, that it, it is just a changing environment. Yeah. You know, radio talk show is almost like we mentioned, it's past his golden age. That's for yeah. sure. I think you touched on it a little bit unknowingly. I think Howard Stern. Yeah. I would consider the godfather of podcasting. I don't podcasting was not a thing, but when he switched from this corporate cookie cutter radio mm -hmm. station mentality to XM radio, got millions of dollars. And let's face it, streaming radio like XM radio. And I think what's the other one? Serious? Serious. Yeah. Serious. And then it was a merger. Yeah. That, that was just that bridge between, uh, you know, between, talk show radio and podcasting that was mm -hmm. just that bridge. that was that one moment in time where technology and social media hadn't meant and that bridge got them to where they are so even though yeah. i don't think our stern pioneered podcasting in the traditional sense i think that move is what kind of spearheaded if you look at what howard stern was doing mm -hmm. I don't, and not to discredit, like to say Joe Rogan, but kind of open the door for somebody like Joe Rogan to do his Get podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Because now it was kind of like, in a way, socially acceptable to be Howard Stern yep. and still make money. Yeah. Um, and what you see now, most popular episode, uh, podcast right now is Joe Rogan and mm -hmm. only on Spotify. Like it was so popular, Spotify will pay you to have exclusive content yeah, and not be on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, whatever other podcasts yep. that goes to show you the value of like, you know, corporate saying, we don't care as much of what you're saying as long as you're getting viewership. We don't care about being canceled. We don't care. Just yeah. do you. Obviously everything has a threshold, you know, you, there's always going to be a line that you cross. That's oh, it. You yeah. lose everything. And it's mm -hmm. that it that the it's a very blurry line that changes from day to day as well. You know, what you could have said yesterday, you may not be able to say today. Another thing I think about it is when you look at radio, um, not radio, TV and uh cable TV. I yep. said this a few years ago when um my wife was when you remember back. Not that long ago, five, six years ago, if you wanted internet, they would try to sell you the, sell you the cable TV 
with oh, the it. Package. They were saying, hey, yep. and, and you had like a year. You said like, no, I just want internet. And a year after, they were like, Yo, okay, if you don't pick up our, you know, our cable TV subscription, mm-hmm. we're going to cut you off. And I will remember telling my wife, she's like, cable TV is going to be gone in less than 10 years. And sure enough, cable TV is almost like the only thing that's holding on cable TV is sports. Because you really, it's yeah. harder to stream sports. It is. But it is, you know, with YouTube now, it's, you, you see now the, the other evolution of sports broadcasting. Yeah. Eli Manning and Peyton Manning doing yes. their streaming. That, that I think, could be the nail in the coffin for cable TV as we speak. Because yep. I think when you look at uh, Pat McAfee, another one, another yep. great sports talk show that ESPN is saying, okay, we see what you're doing in YouTube. We're going to pay you this amount of money for you to bring your content now to ESPN Network, which now exactly. he's on the uh, first take with Stephen A. Smith and Sharon oh, yeah. Sharp. So you see like ESPN is grabbing and trying to understand. It's like we're only surviving. TV is only surviving because of sports. Sports sports is one of those things where it's not rewatchable unless mm-hmm. it's highlighted. I do have yeah. a few friends that will say, hey, I'm recording the game. Don't tell me anything about the game. But like you, with social media, you know how hard it is to not know what the score is and wait till you get home to watch the game. It's not the same thing. That's exactly it. You've got to stay so isolated from yeah. everything on social media because people are going to be talking. You know, yeah. if you recorded that Jets Bills game from Monday, and you're like, oh, I'm going to watch it on Thursday when I've got the afternoon available or something like yeah. that. It's going to be great. You're screwed. There's yeah. no way you didn't hear about Aaron Rodgers. There's yeah. no way. And, you know, it's it, that's that's the thing, too. It's like cable. It's funny. I took a college course. This was in 1996. I took a college class with uh, a professor. This guy is a genius when it comes to broadcasting and also like media distribution. His name's Kirk Smallman. And Kirk did this course. It was all about electronic media distribution. And at the time, he was like, I'm telling you, the future is digital satellite. And I was like, oh, okay." And he says, just because of the financials, if you run a cable company, you've got a bunch of satellite equipment that's receiving all of this stuff at the head end. And then you're literally running wires all over your city, town, county, whatever you cover. And he's like, the problem is, is that nature is going to become a factor. You're going to have a tree that's going to push a cable and break a wire. You're going to have to go fix it. It's constant maintenance. So that's why, like, the cost of cable is so high is because the the maintenance it's it's almost like if they had like it's like the reason why if you go to a mall you're going to pay more for what you're buying because of the real estate the yep. overhead on cable is so expensive and the it, we're in this weird situation where like wireless is great but it's not perfect yet it's so close like wi-fi is wonderful. My my trivia game it, it hinges on a Wi-Fi network, a LAN, not even the internet at all, but on a LAN. And still, there's like crowded channels. There's issues here and there. Bluetooth. I have some equipment that I use professionally that's Bluetooth enabled. I don't use Bluetooth because I'm like it's gonna drop out. I have like professional grade wireless audio systems to send wireless audio somewhere that I just don't use because wired is permanent, you know, like you wire something and you're going to get the signal that you want over there. 
obviously you got to maintain that wire, but there's a cost with that. And sometimes that cost is labor. Sometimes that actual like sweat equity. Other times that cost is just the money, the upkeep for what you're doing. So like, I understand why the idea of using cable is great, but you know, it's, it's got, it's, it's shelf life is getting close to being met. It, it really is. Technology is a wild, wild thing, man. <laughs> yeah. It changes. So for you, Bobby, mm-hmm. What keeps you up at night when you think about all the changes? Like, do you feel like some point, you know, we don't see, like you're saying, podcasting is still as an infancy. Yeah. It still allows for somebody like me to just, it's another idiot talking on the mic and people get to listen to him. Um, but we don't know when that's going to be gone. We don't know when, just like yeah, things come and pass, you know, just like XM Radio and Sirius Radio. And when you when you think about it, that was such a little span in time now yeah. when you're like, I completely forgot that existed. Yeah. You and know, it, <laughs> it, it, it exists. You can't buy a new yeah. card right now that doesn't come with XM Sirius built in. But you know? how, who listens to it? Like, yeah. You, well, there, so, there's an audience. I mean, there, you know, there is an audience. I've got, I've got friends of mine that like, you know, and again, like XM, they're not, uh, XM Sirius is not stupid. Like they've got an app. So they can, it's just another like streaming option. Like some people, it's so funny. Like some people, especially like we'll use music as an example. Like so many people are, you know, they'll get their music from different situations. Like maybe they want to support artists directly. And they're like, I am not, you know, I mean, and I'm talking about just listening on a device like this. Some folks are just like, I am only going to support, uh artists directly so they're buying all of their music through a service and then playing it localized on their device or maybe they're using something like Bandcamp you know uh for a, a vast majority of folks they're using streaming services like either Tidal or Spotify or Apple Music Amazon um and then you have other folks that like they don't want to think about it they don't want to search or make playlists or anything they want the they just want to have what they like to hear happen. And those are the folks I think that are using stuff like, um, Oh, what's that internet rate of Pandora? Pandora. Yeah. Like they're just almost gone now. Almost, almost. But there are some users. My wife still uses it. I'm like, you know, that's the third time they played this song in three hours. Like it's Pandora's done. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild, but they want that radio experience. They just want to be able to turn something on and have it play what they like. So like stuff like that, that is, it's still out there and people yeah. can listen to it. So I think that there are enough people that are like, Oh, well, and the auto industry, I think is a big one of how XM series still has customers because people yeah. will, they'll subscribe. And here's, Hot tip, folks. Uh, if you're getting near your subscription and you threaten to cancel, they're going to give you the best deal ever for like two more yeah. years. Like, and it's just going to keep going. So it, it's just the way it is. So that's how they keep their numbers up. But now that there's an app, you don't even have to be in your car. You know, like you can use this anywhere and stream your music, but it's thoughtless. You put a channel on and you're good to go. And, you know, I think the technology, they're smart. They're going to, they're going to adapt you know, as much as possible. I have a feeling that we're in a spot right now with content as far as podcasts go, where we're going to see the thing that keeps me up at night is the control of podcasts. Yeah. I am. What keeps me up at night is the thought that eventually somebody in the government is going to say, Oh no, 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 no. We have to filter this. Yeah. That's what keeps me up at night because I, this is, it's been existing this way and I think it should stay existing this way. Like freedom to, 
put your stuff out there and again deal with whatever fallout with listeners or anything like that but no filters yeah and i think it's one of those interesting rabbit holes whether it's do you let just kind of society um clean it out itself yeah or does the government have to intervene obviously i'm not in favor of that because that can always be like well you know there's always remember for those that love comics remember comics used to have this it it all became with this uh ed uh edition of batman and robin where people took it as like well that's you know that's you know implying something that kids shouldn't the relationship between between batman and robin was something it implied something that it should be implied to their core followers which was young kids so then they they became this like this agency that like governed comics and you know what you can publish and what you cannot you have to have that you know government label and then i remember when spider there was this comic on spider-man um spider-man comics this edition about Mm -hmm. how peter parker was dealing with drug addiction and when they were coming out with it, the government said, no, we're not going to endorse this. This is not going to have the seal approval. Yeah. And I can't remember back then if it was still Marvel's comics. It might have been another one because I know that. Talk about mergers and all that. Um, but they decided, we don't care. We're going to still throw this. This is important information. Yeah. Kids do deal. Some kids do deal with drug addiction. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to you know, pushed through with this, even without your approval. And it ended up being the death of the, that um, government seal of approval because people stay like, people thought this is so engaging and so important. We no longer care what the government says. It's good or bad for my kids. We're going to decide. And that ended up being, I think that government approval is still there, but it's been so, um, you know, so many rules that have been wiped out that it's become really obsolete. And I think, you know, that's one example of government trying to control a content and society saying, no, I don't think you're right on this. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we will decide what should and should not be. And I mean, there's good and bad things about that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you, you let, I think you let the community decide what they want to do and what they want to listen to and what they want to watch. And if you don't yeah. want your kids to watch or listen to something, it's your responsibility as a parent to teach them what's in your mind, right or wrong. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's crazy too, because I see this too within, in when it comes to music and DJing, like you'll have, this comes up all the time. Every time there's a famous person who does something that's controversial that gets them in hot water. Um, and so for, for good reason, because some of the things that come out are absolutely terrible things that, uh, you know, famous, famous people just absolutely should not get a pass on. So like, I'll give you a couple of examples. Michael Jackson, um, R. Kelly, right? Playing those songs at events are are hot button issues for a lot of people in my industry because you're like, well, you know, is this if I play this R. Kelly song, is somebody going to get upset about this? Like, what's actually going to happen? I've had situations before where like a couple will be like, oh, yeah, you know, we definitely want to we definitely want you to play uh, Billie Jean, you know, at our wedding. It's it's you know, it's a big hit. Other people are just like, yeah, never play Michael Jackson again. I'm like, what? Like, I I, I get it. But like, it's not an endorsement of their 
I guess uh, and it's not an endorsement of their behavior, perhaps, but it's the fact that like this is a song that had a major mainstream impact on a lot of people. And even just for the nostalgia sake alone, most people are separating it. But I've got some folks that are just like, yeah, I won't play any Kanye, you know, and I'm like, maybe because that strikes a personal chord with them, yeah. you know. Uh, it's just, it's one of these touchy things. And, and I think that, that really the, the only real answer is like, let it, like you said, letting society work it out and sort it. Yep. You know what I mean? I, I feel like, um, everybody's too much in everybody's business these days. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mind your business. It's okay. You know, you can just turn it off, switch channels. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. Like these things, you know, I mean, I don't want to get on any kind of like crazy high horse, but like, like just everybody take a breath, you know. I remember it's um, one of the things I'm going on the rabbit hole here, but I do want to say this, um, and this doesn't obviously apply to you or or Jigs and Bigs, but I do. The only thing that I really do have an issue with is people start falsifying, knowingly falsifying information just to get a mm-hmm. reaction. That I do have issues with. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, when people want to express their um, opinions about something, talk about a subject, you know, as long as you're starting with trying to stay with the facts, you can have your opinion of what happened and what should have happened or what should be done, what shouldn't be done. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, let society just kind of like weed it out itself and everybody decides who you want to listen to and who you don't want to listen to. Exactly. As far as um, technology goes, where do you think, um, you know, you see yourself a future or distant future going through the podcast, like you're hoping at some point the podcast becomes your main source of income, your full-time job, your nine to five, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You know, other than society, the changes in technologies, do you visualize yourself saying, okay, what's going to be the next thing that I'm next move that I'm going to have to do to stay relevant in a way your brand, Bobby Rosebeef stays relevant and still, you know, enough to earn a check. So we do kind of have I, I I sort of have a plan for how I want this to go. It is going to require more income coming in because if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. I do want to incorporate a video component to the podcast. Um, I think the innovation of spotify offering a video podcast option and the ability of all a lot of these podcast platforms incorporating video right into the player is sort of the marriage that has kind of needed to happen and i feel like my my goal like i mentioned earlier like howard stern would record the show yeah and there was a visual component there these sports you know talk shows would record a show and it would run on television at the same time i have a feeling that this is where, where it's going to go and i in my mind i actually have uh, an example of where i want this to sort of go for the style of show that we are for the aesthetic all of this stuff even down to like designing a set like i've got a really 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 detailed visual model in my mind set up of where this is going to go. And, and once we get to the point where we have, you know, uh, the partners, I, I think the biggest thing is growing our partners program. Um, and our partners program is like right now we're working with dark horse tackle, which has been absolutely amazing. I love yeah. working with them. Uh, we work with three bells outfitters located in Connecticut. We work with uh, Torish sunglasses company. Um, and, you know, we want to add uh, another retail element uh, outdoors retail 
element to there. Um, and, and this is to kind of provide like a, a, a whole, a well-rounded service where we can bring value everywhere. And then, you know, we want to sell advertising as well. But part of this is going to be, you know, when we get to a certain point where it can sustain itself, I, I want to build a studio and, and provide a, a full weekly podcast that will run the same duration that it does now, but will have a video element. And that's going to involve hiring a director, hiring camera people, or, you know, investing in cameras that can be manned by a technical director, you know, behind a board and having a staff to pull this off to make it happen. Because the audio itself is, I can handle that. That's fine. I could even handle putting together the video, but at the same time, I'd rather put my my efforts into designing a show and bring somebody in to handle that technical element. So when we grow to that point, that's where I see the technology going is toward bringing in a visual component so that this way, you know, the beauty of it is with a podcast player, if you want to, I remember when we first started the show, I, I got a couple of emails from listeners, early listeners that would reach out and say, oh, my God, I love that you've got this show going. Not only is it like regional to the areas that I fish, but, you know, I can so uh, I can I can definitely relate to everything you guys are talking about. But I don't have to have my phone running a video just displaying nothing as I'm driving. And those content creators are knowing that. It's a visual component. So half of what they're talking about is enhanced by being able to see see it. The words might not necessarily go over. By knowing that we're audio only right now, we kind of try to be descriptive about everything. So even when, you know, if we have a bait and, you know, we, we have our jig heads for our live um, live stream recording that the exclusive for the jig heads, if we're talking about a bait. I'll show the bait and hold it up to the camera like this for them. They'll see it, but I'll describe exactly what I'm doing in the show. And I think that by having it play back in the video format on the podcast platform, it allows you to start and stop it and digest it as you want, because our show is tough to listen to it. Our, our, our biggest show tops out at four and a half hours long. That's, that's crazy that's crazy and i never intended it to be that way somebody had asked did me you have paul roberts on the show uh well a couple of times paul. <laughs> Actually, technically paul is on every show right now because of the show open for the ftg segment every single that's him uh so no i yeah some of these shows are you know because i'll talk for like 60 to 90 minutes with a guest on all on our own. Like we'll just discuss whatever we're going to discuss. And, and it's, it's great. Um, but the rest of the show with myself and, and Sean and Joe as co-hosts. And then, you know, on the, on the off times that one of them isn't on the show, we have a guest host. I want to give time to them too. So I just let the show naturally be however long it is. If it's got to be, you know, three to five hours, then that's what it's got to be because that's a beauty about podcasting. You can, the listener can put it down, and then go go ahead and keep going. And that's I try to always keep that in mind for the listener. It's like yeah. I imagine our listeners sitting there with like an earbud in washing dishes. That's what I think that they're doing. Or, you know, somebody who's maybe, you know, obviously the one that everybody thinks of is commuting in the car, you know, something yeah. like that. But, you know, I've had people tell me before, like, yeah, I put my headphones on and I've got a big property. I got to cut a lot of grass and I listen to jigs and bigs while I do it. And I'm like, that is great. You know, I think that's 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 bananas. Yeah, you can tell um, also when there's a tournament going on, you can see, at least on my, mm. I know there's there's going to be some episodes, especially with the the ones Dan records about tips and tricks yep. to help you improve your bass fishing 
every time there's a tournament going on, you'll see a spike in their in his listeners yep. because people are driving up to the boat ramp just want to get more information and kind of yeah. like get them into the uh, fishing mentality. For sure. Speaking of that, perfect segue. You, we talked about your personality as you mm-hmm. know, you know, ra- your influences radio, emceeing, uh, talk show, uh, trivia, game yep. host show, podcasting. How does fishing and the Bobby Roast Beef media world combine to bring us jigs and bigs? So here's what's wild. I got into fishing. I So I fished as a young kid with my dad. He was, you know, we would fish for trout quite often using live bait. And, you know, I was one of these kids that needed to just chuck and wind. And I just, I, I didn't have the interest in it. And then I got, you know, to like about high school age and kind of put it down. You know, I didn't really get out and fish maybe once or twice maximum, but never like because I was driven to go and fish. Like it was just like, oh, that's what we're going to go do. We're going to go fishing. Great. I didn't really put a whole lot of stock into it. And then I got into my uh, early 30s and my my buddy, Paul, I talk about Paul a lot on the show. My buddy, Paul, had said to me, he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I, I, had, I had called him up and I asked him, I was like, yeah, what are you doing this weekend? He's, you know, I got I got the weekend available. He's like, uh, yeah, he's like, I'm just going to go out and do some fishing, man. And he goes, you should come with me. And I'm like, fishing, really? All right, I'll give it a go. So I got myself a spinning combo. We went out and just fished, and it was ridiculous. I, nothing was caught. I think we went out like the last week of March. It was crazy cold. Like we we had no idea what we were doing. And my buddy would fish with his father-in-law. So he would go out with his father-in-law, and they would just fish for whatever, catch Whatever it was that 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 was biting that day, everything went in a bucket. They ate everything they kept. You know, it was one of those things. And um, this was about the time where uh, the the subscription box service was really new. Um, and you know, I, I always had an interest in artificial lures. I wish I had that box in front of me. I could show you. There's a lure that my father gave me. I remember mm-hmm. when, when I was a little kid, he had a giant tackle box with like the three trays that lifted yeah. up and he had this, it was, uh, uh, like a crawler style lure, but it was a bat. And as a little kid, I was amazed by this, this, this bait. And I always wanted to throw it. And, and my dad never had the right gear for this stuff. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't a huge crawler. It probably weighs half an ounce, you know, Um, but it was it was just it just had my attention. And I remember I, I remember thinking about that and I was like, what is it about bass fishing? Like bass specifically, why is this blowing up like it is? Like there's, I knew I was aware that the tournament element of it was as big as it was, like on the level of MLF and Bassmaster. I didn't have a, a, a foot in that game at all. Didn't pay attention to it. I'm not really a sports guy at all, but I knew that there was something about this. So I found there was a, I subscribed to Tackle Grab was the first subscription box I ever signed up for. Never and even heard of that one. Tackle Grab. Tackle Grab. Yeah. And it was it was actually I think it came out like right around the same time, maybe even a little bit before Lucky Tackle Box came out and then Mystery Tackle Box, I think, came out after that. Um, But I had uh, Tackle Grab. I basically bought because I had no idea when I would go to like Walmart and look for baits. and I would not step foot into a tackle shop uh, proper because I had no idea what I was doing. You know what I mean? And I was like, I'm like, I'm 30 something years old. I should know what the hell a jig does. 
You know, I have no idea. So what I did was I subscribed to one of these things and they would send out a card and I would research the baits that came in there. And like the first thing I started throwing from them was a square bill crankbait. Uh, it was uh, an Ish Monroe. I think it was called a Big Papa. And uh, I that was the first artificial bait I ever caught a fish on. Caught a largemouth with it. I was like, whoa, there's something here. Let's play around with this. So I, I, I would dive in just purely for recreation. And for me, it was, you know, like I said, I, at the time, I was playing in bands. I was working full time. I had two young kids at home. I had I was also hosting trivia and I would do the, uh, I would do private events on the weekends on occasion. So on those weekends where I was available and it would lend, lend itself to it, I would go out and I would just fish, just enjoy myself two or three hours bank fishing. And uh, it got to a point where eventually I I started catching fish on more different um, presentations and I started to kind of grasp a little bit more of what I was doing. Like I was getting some more knowledge and I still like was going out and getting skunked most of the time, but I was slowly putting the pieces together. And then uh, my buddy Paul and I went out and, and our jig heads know the full details of this story, but we went out and uh, we had fished at, there's a, a local reservoir to us called Quabbin Reservoir. It's enormous. And it's a uh, it's actually the drinking supply for the city of Boston, and they are very strict on the rules uh, for what they'll allow in there for watercraft. Like I can't bring my kayak there; I would have to rent one of theirs. Um, really? Oh. Yeah. If if I wanted to use a boat, uh, my own boat, my my outboard has to be no more than twenty five horse, and. I have to, there's a seal that they put on your boat. Like they clean the boat and they give you a sticker as a seal saying that it's been certified. If I go to another body of water, I have to, if that I, I basically can only use that boat in that body of water, but this is a reservoir. That's it's enormous. It's probably the best fishery in Massachusetts to be perfectly honest. And we went out this one cold April day and we just had the worst time ever and uh, mistakes were made. And I almost, I, I'm at the back of the boat and I'm uh, I, I'm 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 you know in charge of the motor and I say to Paul I go hey let's head back to the I got to handle some business let's head back to the to the ramp we're nearby we go by and I go to turn to grab the transom um, with my other hand I turn around and the outboard just kicks to the left and immediately this is at full throttle. Immediately, the front of the boat rises up. I'm looking at my buddy, 300 pound man, looking above him. <laughs> I have I was wearing my 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 uh, sunglasses at the time, and I had the water level right here. I was like, "Oh my god!" I reached behind me and I grabbed the choke and I pulled it, and the boat went and righted itself right back down. We came so close to death that day; it was ridiculous. And so I couldn't believe when I got back from handling business that he was okay with going back out. <laughs> He was. So we went out. I say everything was great. Everything was great in the sense that we didn't die. That was how great <laughs> it was. It was a terrible day of fishing. I actually recorded a video just saying, like, we're bad at this. If something happens and you find this video, uh, we're we're idiots and we shouldn't be doing this. And I put fishing down for about a year. And I was just like, you know, I'm just I'm not seeing the success that I want to, you know, I I'm not, this is it's at, at the point I was trying to learn so much that it was actually stressing me out to fish when I was supposed to be relaxing. And I'm like, I got to rethink this about a year went by. And uh, a guy who works security at one of the bars that I work at 
we were talking about fishing and, you know, I was still in the loop. Like I was watching all of this fishing content. I just wasn't going out like I was. I also didn't have any baits coming in or anything like that at all. So he says to me, he's like, hey, why don't we go out tomorrow morning? I said, you know what? It's going to be a pretty nice day. Why don't we? Screw it. I'll grab my rods and we'll go. Man, it only took two or three casts. And I laid into a three pounder that just instantly like relapse everything. I'm like, we're back, baby. <laughs> and I'm just from that point on, I was I kind of made fishing right about that point. I started doing because I lost like 40 pounds um, right about that time. I started hitting the gym hard and I would go and work out. I was watching my diet and everything else. And I've actually maintained that weight that entire time, which is great. I mean, I'm still a fat son of a gun, but, you know, it is what it is. I'm 40 pounds less. Uh, so I you know, I felt pretty good about that. And I would use fishing to like extend that physical activity because it was all bank fishing. And then the podcast happened when COVID started, I decided to start making that happen. And that's when I started to really get really serious about fishing. And it was talking with Sean and creating a database and following the trends um, that I could see. And even right now, I'm not even like looking at that database. I'm just collecting data. And th the whole purpose for that is just to create and, and, Really, I'm on an adventure. I'm not a tournament angler. I'm not into that. I'm just trying to get the most out of fishing and enjoy uh, as much of the natural resources that we have uh, as much as humanly possible. So this is where the, the travel element comes from and trying to go to different areas. I went to Moosehead Lake and, you know. The, even the camping and the overlanding stuff that I'm into, which I say overlanding, it's overlanding mild. I like to say it's not so stealth camping. That's what it is. But that element comes in so I can extend the adventure past going to a body of water a few hours away and then driving back. Now I can go and spend a day traveling to a spot, fish that entire day, stay overnight, and then come back and do that whole thing in a weekend. It's, it's well worth it to do. So the adventure is what I'm chasing. You know, and that's part of the reason why we started doing the multi-species uh, scavenger hunt style tournaments was so that this way anybody could just go out and catch fish and sort of prior prioritize their fishing in a different sort of way. That's awesome. When one of the things that I take from that is that I find interesting, at least to me, is yep. when you think about your job or your career as, you know, an entertainer, MC all those hats that we already talked about mm -hmm. that I would think, and you correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like it came easy to you because of your DNA, your personality. Yep. It, it caters perfectly to who you are. And then I, it looks like, it seems like fishing and bass fishing was the yin to your yang. Now yep. this is something yep. that's challenged you to the core, which I think it's what, a lot of people don't understand about fishing and bass fishing because there's a lot easier ways to fish. There's a lot easier fish to catch than a bass, you know, in the, in that scope of bass fishing, yep. bass is still a bass, you know, it's not a smart uh, animal, but it is smarter than to catch, uh, harder to catch than other fish because it's oh yeah you know it's still a bass it's like saying well it's just the smartest horse ever it's still a horse kind of thing exactly you know yeah. it's still a fish but it's that challenge you to do something for no other reason than to entertain yourself because when you think about it, especially if you're catch and release 
what a lot of people don't understand, and I, I don't know how to describe it, right? But we're doing something that's really, really hard. We're doing it in the hardest way possible to do it. Mm-hmm. For what reason? If we, it's just to challenge ourselves and yeah. make something better of ourselves and to overcome something. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Doing, oh, yeah. You know, doing something for your life that comes easy to you to doing a hobby that is probably the hardest hobby you can. Oh, yeah. Of. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that that's exactly what it gets down to. It's that you're it's such a crazy combination of elements. Like I like to always tell people that fishing is a unique pastime hobby sport whatever category you want to lump it into it's unique because it's one part science and one part art and you've got on one hand a bunch of absolutes and then you've got chaos on the other hand and you put those together and you've got fishing so you know whether you're using artificials whether you're using live baits whether you're exclusive to one type of bait maybe you're only throwing giant swim baits or you're only throwing finesse or you're you know like you're just exclusively fly fishing or something like that it's crazy because you're 100% right you're doing something that is challenging you you know um but at the same time, it's also relaxing in an yeah. odd kind of way. And I think the magic of fishing is that it's taking you literally out of your everyday mindset into a natural environment and making you go figure it out. You know, we always talk about getting on a pattern or, or figuring out a pattern like that's that's going to lead you to an amazing day of fishing. If you can figure out the pattern, boom, great. It's a puzzle. So it's almost like the way somebody relaxes by doing like Sudoku or crossword or something like that. It takes you out of that day to day element. And you're now you're literally putting together a puzzle, but you're doing it in a natural environment, physically taking you out of that cubicle. You might be in nine to five Monday through Friday and, and allowing you. So even though you're being challenged in a way, you're releasing all of that additional stress. You're letting all that kind of melt away. And that's really important. I think that's the most important part of the outdoors. Yeah. And, and, like, and there's so many levels to it because, like you mentioned, it takes you out of your cubicle, takes you out of your comfort level physically, and it takes you out of your comfort level emotionally and mentally because yep. it can be mentally, emotionally draining when you're not catching a fish. And I think <clears throat> not to go down that rabbit hole too much, but when people now talk about, you know, the hottest topic right now in fishing, which is for facing sonar, live imaging, yep. I, I'm not against or pro anything yeah. boo, like do you boo like we're yep. talking about the listen to whatever you want to listen watch whatever you want to watch it's your life you do what you want to do it's fishing you do what you want to do but i understand the argument of like when you think about okay what's the hardest fish to catch bass but typically you know on 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 most lakes you know you can catch a catfish by throwing some chicken liver and you probably yep. end oh, up yeah. catching something there's you can well how do how, what is the hardest way to catch a bass now not only am I targeting the hardest fish to catch but what's the hardest way to catch it because you can throw a live minnow and come up with a you know decent day of fishing and it's pretty oh, easy yeah. no we're gonna use we're not gonna use the live bait even though that's a whole a whole lot easier we're gonna use a artificial lure <laughs> so mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's like Okay, now we're going to forward-facing sonar and live imaging, which is the anti 
bass fishing mentality. All we've done in bass in fishing is look for the hardest fish to catch with the not just the hardest fish to catch, but with the absolute hardest way to catch it, which is yep. don't go live bait. But now we're going to bring in uh, a live forward facing sonar. So I see the arguments on both sides. Oh, like sure. it's the like the anti bass fishing mentality. Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, that's a whole rabbit hole that we go down to. But I see how this kind of like is something that a lot of people, unless you do it, you don't understand that there's a real from this actor that used to be from that movie Terminator where he talks about, I don't even know what show it is. I know it's a, it's a screen recording of a, of a show, I'm sure. <laughs> but it was brought up and we see it all the time in social media where he explains why fishing is so important to him i'm sure you've seen it oh yeah um and i think that captures the moment right there that's the best way to describe it um it's hard to describe it to other people yep what i find interesting is how you manage to bring those two worlds and make something out of it you know typically mm -hmm. people say my work life is my work life mm -hmm. and my fishing life is my fishing life and i don't want to combine them yeah one, you know, offsets the other in a way. Yeah. Yep. You know, one keeps me my pays my bill. The other one <laughs> puts a hole in my account. In my pocket. But it yeah. brings it brings me some sort of uh, uh, entertainment and uh, pressure relief button. But you manage to do both things and merge them together mm -hmm. in a way that um, I think it's really unique. And the great thing about it, it reflects like one reflects in the other like your personality from what you did before you started bass fishing yep in a way it's enhanced by fishing when you bring it to your podcast and to your social media oh, did yeah. you ever thought that was going to happen in kind of I, I i or I, at least i should say it's one of those things that i always hoped would happen like I would find some way to comfortably merge these two things together. And I, it's not for everybody. Like you hear this all the time with content creators and you, you hear them talk about burnout, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and it's, it's a real thing, you know, it becomes part of a job. Like I'll tell you one of the, I think, I think one of the best examples of this is uh, if you're going to do this full time, it's 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 tough and i've been lucky enough to there's a couple of content creators um that i've gotten to be really really close with that are in my area and that's todd grubb and uh fishing with becca becca you seen yeah. um and between the two of them they're they're very different in a lot of ways though they do a lot of content together or they they did before um becca is uh she's a full-time content creator. Like that is what she does now. Uh, when she first started doing this, it was just like, she was just creating the content. And I think at the time she was like a nanny actually. And um, she makes really, really great content. She has a good schedule. She went really hard during the pandemic, trying to put like crazy amounts of content out. Um, and she's done some really great things. I'm really proud of her. Like I really am. And, and she's, I feel like she's somebody out there that gets it. I think that she's kind of, I almost say that I think she's kind of got it dialed with this like work life balance with her content, because part of being a content creator is like opening up to your audience, like what your life is all about. So like on jigs and bigs, 
I will talk about all of the stuff that we've got going on. Like in this episode, I was talking about how I was doing a lot of prep so that I have a trip this weekend to uh, Camp Hookset with all the Hookset Hoodlums Pro staff um, that I'm looking forward to. But I have a wedding on Monday that so I've got to go from like fishing. Wedding on Monday? Yeah, well, it's an interesting sort of situation. Yeah, I have a wedding to do on Monday. So I'm going to be gone for this entire event, and I come home, and then I got to be in wedding mode. So I talked about that a little bit on the show. And as a content creator, like, you're always sort of sharing that. And I think that you have to, like, really be honest with yourself with how much are you going to, like, put out there for that. And I think she's really kind of got it really dialed. You know, there's a lot of stuff that she's been doing that's that's fantastic. You look at, like, Todd Grubb, on the other hand, and here's a guy who started creating content and, you know, had varying success to to a specific point but then eventually made it to where fishing is his life like for a while he this is when he took a deep dive into saltwater fishing you know he was working on party boats going out on you know chasing like uh, trophy tog you know and it, the adventures he's had on the saltwater is absolutely insane but then he's been mixing it up where now he's been getting heavily into carp fishing and and with that uh, he just created a new partnership with an amazing uh, domestic retailer for carp fishing gear and that's kind of opening a lot of doors for him to travel and create some other stuff and with doing this you see him kind of building more and more now he's a captain you know <laughs> he's a captain now and he's he's working at uh, at an amazing custom rod shop um you know part time and he's he's filling out those hours creating content and I use those two as an example because like you see a lot of people that get into this and they go so hard for a year or two and they get burnt out so yep. badly and they're going to try to create like, oh, I'm going to do 10 TikToks a week. I'm going to do uh, three or four videos a week. I'm going to record two podcasts every week or whatever that schedule is. And you got to look at like, what are people, what are you able to deliver realistically? And you know, you obviously the, the 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 hope is that you're always going to grow to a point where you can do this full time if you want to do it full. Because that's the thing. Just like where fishing can be something different for everybody involved, you know, it's something different for the tournament angler than it is for that dad that gets to go out twice a, uh, a month, you know, or you know that guy who books that one fishing trip a year for you know salmon fishing in the salmon river or something like that like you know there are folks that that do this at different levels and it can be okay there's space for everybody but i think that like that's a big thing is like avoiding burnout and and trying to balance that work that content creator and that that actual living your own life sort of balance to kind of tie it together one of the things that I'm really interested to get your feedback on, we see different styles of like um, podcasting. One of my favorite ones, and it's very different in contrast to what you do, is like Lex Friedman. Lex Friedman, I don't know if you've uh, seen him or heard his podcast or watch him on YouTube. He's one of those. He's a great interviewer. Mm -hmm. So he relies heavily on the questions he asked. Yeah. And his guest bringing the content like. Yeah. He's more there of like a, he's just a vessel to get the information out. He's not the main attraction. Yeah. Although his podcast is one of the most popular ones out there. Yeah. When you see your podcast, obviously Bobby Rosebeef is his big personality. Mm -hmm. Unlike, let's say, Lex Friedman, people don't tune in necessarily for your guests, but to listen, <clears throat> watch, 
get entertained by primarily Bobby Rose Beef. Yep. How do you balance that out when you have your your guests? Because the truth of the matter is now now you have people that's like I'm here for Bobby Reese, but Bobby Rose Beef. Yep. But you also want to highlight your guest and bring them into the spotlight. Where do you find that? a balance to, you know, transmit what you want to transmit in your podcast. So that's, I love that question because it's, it's funny. I do have a list of core questions that I will utilize. And I always, when I, when it's funny, I started doing the podcast specifically because I wanted the, I, I wanted to try to be that facilitator of the interview. I was coming to it from a, a position of I am not 100% sure about what I'm talking about here. You know, I'm I may get some stuff wrong. So I was taking the little about uh, that that experience from the perspective of like, hey, I'm just kind of really kind of getting into this world head on of hardcore fishing. Like, who can I talk to to put this together? And And I started out the show primarily just trying to spotlight other guests. So I would have a conversation with the people around me, which eventually grew to the followers that we, that I would create and, uh, and generate on, on Instagram. And those connections would then grow to other connections. So I was reaching out to people like there's a, a guest we've had on twice already. Uh, he's a guy in North Carolina. His name's Jordan Capone. And Jordan came on the show. He was the first guest that I had had that was, completely out from like left field, like strictly Instagram. We had talked and actually I, I joke in the first episode because he is originally from Canada. I was like, he's my first international guest. Um, it was like episode six and we had, we had a great conversation. It was really, really good. But like I would ask, I had a, a list of typical questions that I would go. And then the one thing I've tried to pride myself on is the follow-up question. I think any really good interviewer, needs to be able to have a good follow-up so yes there are questions that i'll ask about so let's talk about your confidence baits what is such and such and if they say something that's interesting i can riff off of that and get something more and i think the goal is to just create an organic conversation now i've never strayed from those staple questions i don't necessarily ask all of them and here's why because we because when i'm booking a guest <laughs> There are some guests that are, and I'm sure you've run into this too. You have some people that are on the other side of the screen that are talkers and you have some that aren't. Yeah. So you'll ask like, so do you have any, you know, uh, bucket list bodies of water that you want to, you know, make sure to get out and fish? And they're like, yep. <laughs> and you're like, care to elaborate on that? <laughs> like that is, you know, it's one of those, th you do get folks that are like that and it's not to downplay any of them, but some folks just are Just a talkers. personality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, and it's it's okay to be that that person, but it generally what I what I find is just creating just making them as comfortable as possible and having a conversation. So if they're not sharing any stories, I'll share some of mine and then put that out there and then sort of see like if I can get more out of them by get even if it's just a, a little bit of feedback on I might tell that story about you know almost killing my best friend on the <laughs> Quabbin Reservoir or something like that and. And that might elicit a reaction from them or or something. And the, the very last question, which has been in almost every single show, is the two parter. The one where we want like that, the the question where we want the, the where they're most proud. And then the follow up. The question is the biggest. 
epic fail moment. Like that's we we talk a lot about that, and I I try to get that to show the contrast because everybody's got dozens of epic fail moments. But I also want to hear that story. Like if you were at a, the bar at, uh, at a wedding and you're like meeting the you know the other families, you know, uh, kind of. Uh, wild angling uncle or whomever and they say yeah i hear you like to fish what's that story you're going to tell that like that the one that sticks out to you the most and that contrast is very interesting because everybody can relate yeah and that's interesting you know having that structure you're not just relying on your personality which and again i apologize to my audience I'm really trying to get over this sinus infection. So I'm pushing through, guys. So if you hear me coughing and all that, I do apologize. But you you could really rely on just your personality because it carries most of the show. Or you could carry most of the show if you Mm -hmm. wanted to. But you do find that strike balance, which I think gives it more leveled. It keeps it more interesting because if the show is heavily uh, relied on the personality of Bobby Rosebeef, it could have the potential of getting stale. You know, you it yes. becomes, kind of becomes repetitive. But when you bring another guest in and you let, you know, play off of each other and find that, mm-hmm. like you said, it's not always easy with some guests. I've had some guests where it's like, golly, I wish we just say more than three syllables. Kind of help me out here. And, I mean, there's, there's ways to prepare for it. But at the same time, you're at the mercy of, whatever the person's going to say, you know, you don't, you don't, as much as you talk about it in the pre-recording, there are things that you're going to come up and you have to either find a way to make what they say more interesting or find a way to kind of tone yourself down and avoid from you saying something that's probably going to kill the momentum of where the show goes. And, 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 And that's a balance that I don't think, at least for my part, not having any background into kind of quote unquote entertainment business. Yep. I'd say that loosely. Um, It's a lot of like trials and errors. When you think about your progression in the podcasting, what has been for you the biggest change from when you started to where you are now? I think my confidence in this show is a major, major thing. Uh, like, it's so funny. I've always tried to avoid painting ourselves into a corner in any kind of a way, even, even just in being a fishing podcast. Um, I tell people all the time, I'm like, even if you don't fish, you should listen to this show because it's entertaining as hell. And it's just coming from the standpoint of a handful of, of crazy freshwater anglers. Um, so I think my confidence has been a, the, the major change. Um, I'll give you an example, like regarding like like guests. Um, I have in the past with tournament anglers specifically, like in the beginning when it was my just myself, I was relying a hundred percent on the guest that conversation and where it was going to go. I would share my feedback of what I've been doing in the past week and such and such. Um, and then you know when we brought when I brought Sean into the mix as a regular element of the of the show, I feel like the show really started to to kind of focus more on one specific niche and that was kayak anglers um as a whole whether they be recreational anglers or competitive and i can remember there was a time where we would get somebody on the show that was 
a a, a kayak angler. You know, we had uh, the a, a tournament angler. Um, Ken Wood um, is one that comes to mind specifically. And I, I would ask Sean, I'd say, hey, I want you to be a part of this interview because there's a certain level of I don't know what the hell this is all about no. because I don't have a vested interest in on it. I'd like your feedback with some of this as well. And, and it's worked. And actually, it's funny because I have a recording set up for this Saturday night that uh, our newest co-host, Joe Brown, had put together. It's uh, Josh Cotier. He is the AOY winner of um, Joe's league that he's been fishing in, Um, which is pretty awesome because I guess Josh is a really good good dude. It'll be a good interview. But again, like I I told Joe, and and Joe actually had asked, he's like, I would love to be a part of that if it's possible. I said, well, you're going to be at Camp Hookset, so let's record then. And uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to record with him. But now I get, you know, Joe was brought into the mix because he has a whole other he has a whole other background in terms of fishing than either Sean or myself. Like Sean's got years of experience and his primary focus in that has been kayak fishing specific. I'm all over the place. Joe is Joe owns a beautiful glitter rocket. (laughs) a beautiful skeeter that matches my truck. I'll say it again. Um, And he is more vested into that world, the world of the big boat fishing tournaments, the MLF, the Bassmaster, all this stuff. He's got a head more on there. But on top of that, Joe owned a tackle shop. So he's got the retail experience of all of the gear and this is providing like a, another brand new unique spin. So like my confidence has changed where I can sit down and talk to almost anybody now, but I do like, I still like to have that element in there to bring in various perspectives. And and like the primary reason why we added Joe is because I, I didn't want to keep us in, like, I don't want people to make the assumption that jigs and bigs was a kayak fishing podcast. I wanted them to know that it was a fishing podcast. Mostly bass fishing, but we appreciate multi-species fishing as well. Yeah, and it's that diversity of your show. When when you listen to it the first yep. time, depending on what episode, you might not even think other than because of the title, Jigs and Bigs, that it is related to bass fishing. That's what I love about it. It's like yep. and a lot of people can relate to it. And it's just free-flowing conversations where your personality shines, but it doesn't overtake yeah, you know, and and hug kind of like all the the attention. So I I I mean your years of experience doing this, your whole DNA and your personality from your childhood has led you up to this, and you've done a masterful job at what you do. And I think anybody that that's watching or listening to this podcast, if you haven't listened to Jigs and Bigs, I would yeah. definitely recommend it um, because it's far, you know, it's entertaining. I forgot. I was going to use a word, but I just halfway through the word, I was like, "What word am I using?" Far yeah. whatever. It's like it's it's entertaining. Just listen to it. I don't know where I'm going. It's early uh, today. I don't usually record in the morning, but since we are pre-recording, uh, I love recording this early. I really? live. This. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's great. Have a coffee, you know, and then I feel like I don't know. There's something I love recording early, and then just having that in the can and knowing that we're good to go. I love it this time. Um, I'll tell you, like the, I think the most entertaining episodes that we have are 
the ones where, you know, being the fact that we're based up north in New England, we really get to fish for like seven months out of the year. You know, I mean, realistically, like, no, more than that, probably more like nine. Um, it all depends on how bad of a winter we get. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and none of us on the show are really hardcore ice anglers. For us, it's more of a social call a lot of the time. And yeah, ice yeah. ice fishermen are unique uh, because, like, they will wait all year for that three-month window where they're, they can be on the ice. And they love it. They absolutely love it. And then the rest of the year, they're just like, I wish winter would come back. Um, so for us... You know, we'll talk about ice fishing and we've got, you know, jig heads that are really, really heavy into it. So we've got reports of, you know, what's going on, which bodies of water have safe ice, because that's a big deal. Like, especially for going out with groups of people like you want to know where there are safe ice. And, you know, um, we run a fishing report that's really good. And I'm actually kind of thinking that maybe we should extend that into the ice fishing as well, because normally we shut it off until spring. Um, so we, we do that locally, which is odd for a podcast because we have listeners all over the country, all over the world. And, you know, to keep something that's so localized, I just kind of feel like it puts our little style on it a little bit because we are new England guys, you know, we're, we're all new England natives, you know, we're, 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 we're all mass holes. Armando. That's what we are. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I feel like that's kind of definitely interesting, but you'll see in those winter episodes, we kind of go off the rails. Like last winter, we had one of our listeners who's a, another tournament angler from our area, Bill Galekis. He was actually a tournament director for one of the local trails. Um, he's also really big into like geek culture, just like Sean is and just like I am. So we had this this segment that we called Geekin' with Galekis, where we would talk comic books, movies, stand-up comedy, music, anything in there where we could sort of geek out on. And that would be like the final segment of the show. And it was just to add a little bit of value to what's going on. We've had conversations about incorporating fishing video games, um, which I think would probably be best served when we do have a video component. But maybe it's start something that we start now, you know, and then we play with later. So we try to add as much as we can in there. And then you know, obviously up north here, once you get into January, you start getting all these expos that will pop up. People are looking to sell used gears. People are looking to sell new gear. Everybody's ramping up for spring. So we try to, you know, really, really sort of take advantage of that time to create really great content that's focused on prep. And especially this year, now that now that we'll, now that we're going to have Joe for the entire winter season, now we can talk boat prep, stuff that I've got no idea about. You know, winterizing your boat. How does that happen? Why? You know, I mean, I've got a kayak. I wrap it up in the backyard and it just stays there, you know? Um, so it's 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 interesting. And, and eventually, you know, someday, someday, I'd like to maybe see there be a, uh, a, a, a water-based jigs and big studio where I could fish with guests on a boat, you know, maybe a big pontoon boat to make it a studio and make it work. But I think that would be really amazing too. So who knows what's going to happen, but I, yeah, I definitely think that, uh, that, that for the entertainment value, those winter months get crazy. Yeah. They get nuts. It's, it's something I think a lot of people don't understand if you're living down South, because yeah. when you, I've had buddies of mine that moved, like I had a, one of my best friends uh, moved from Puerto Rico to upstate New York. And he's yep. they do it when, when it's wide out, you know, for like over there and like almost there is almost it was almost a Canada. It's like your mind is just goes into a different state of mind. Like you you 
you you you're just in a different state of mind, different emotional because you're like wide out, like snowed in for yep. so long. Like those activities are, you know, very minimal very and minimal, maybe yeah. not an enjoyable unless you really hardcore love that weather. Yeah, from somebody that used to born in the Caribbean, lived in the Caribbean. It was like, yeah, no, your mindset just it's all over the place. And I think a lot of people for the South really don't understand that. Like, it, yeah. I can see how that would get crazy having friends from North. They just have a different mentality when you like, it's bitter, it's cold, and there's nothing to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it just puts you in a different state of mind, which a lot of people here from the South cannot relate. Because the most we're going to get in snow, it's maybe a couple of days. Yeah. Exactly. But that's about it. And it would be nothing compared to what you guys go through, obviously. And even with the snow Magellan three years ago, it was just like really one or two hard days of snow and sleet. But after that, yeah. it was just kind of back to normal. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's just a flash in a pan. Like we see it all yeah. the time, especially working in, in the news business, like I did for so long working in television. You know, you would see like the Carolinas got freezing weather. And like it was chaos on the roads. Yeah. Like up here in the Northeast, we laugh so hard when we see that footage. It's Tuesday for you guys. It's yeah, it's just <laughs> another day. Uh, but I understand the situation. Like they're not used to that. So like yeah. last uh, this last winter, I, I I can remember we were doing the uh, Springfield Sportsman Show in Springfield, Mass. And uh, I was two weeks out from taking my buddy Paul, who had, by the way, Paul has never been on a bass boat before. Never. And I've been telling him forever, dude, the best fishing is done on somebody else's boat. Yep. And it's the best it's going to get. <laughs> and, and I told him, I was like, you know, we should take a trip and go to one of these bodies of water. Where do you want to go? And Paul is just so laid back. He's like, where do you think we should go? And it was after I had Alex Rudd on the show. He had mentioned Caleb Bell, uh, a guide uh, from Bass Quest Charters in in uh, uh, Tennessee. Uh, and he fishes on Chickamauga. And I contacted him and I was like, listen, I'd like to book a weekend, man. Let's go and do it. And he was like, all right, cool. So I booked the time. We stayed at a tackle shop. And this is going to be a, a th an annual thing. We're going to be going to a body of water down south to get that open water fix at least once a year in the winter. At least. That's my goal right now. Like I've, I went through a bunch of states that I want to go to. Some of those are for the summer. Like I want to go to Wisconsin or Michigan in the summer, you know, and fish open water. But in the winter, yeah, I'd love to go to Florida, you know, and, and go with a guide on a body of water I have no business on. I'd love to go to Gunnersville, you know, and and be able to fish in these spots. I think that is that that is is I think the be the biggest release. It's almost like you know I don't know if they have the term uh, out where you're at uh, snowbirds. Probably. Oh yeah, I was just about oh, to mention. I was just about to say, are you going to become a snowbird? In a way, I mean, you know, it's it's funny too. My wife and I were talking about this because we're like, you know, I mean, our kids are older. My oldest one is almost twenty. My youngest is just about to go into high school, and you know, we're talking about you know what our next like couple of decades might look like three decades, maybe, you know, what, what's the plan? Are, are we going to stay up here? What do we want to do? And my wife kind of loves this idea of going down South in the winter and getting like a seasonal, um, camp, uh, like a seasonal, like a mobile home really. Yeah. And, and setting it up down there and then having a rig that we can travel around in and just come up North and then stay, either on some of my family's property or her family's property or something like that, come up here for a few months and just live like that. I should say 
my lovely wife has never camped, really camped, a day in her life. She gonna learn. She is gonna learn. Um, so, Either that or lawyers are gonna be on the phone. Yeah, exactly. One or the other. But it's it's wild because, like, uh, you know, I mean, it was a 15-hour drive to Hickson when we were in Tennessee, and it was worth every mile. It was worth every mile for that one day of fishing. The fishing wasn't fantastic. The the conditions were crazy, but the memories that were created and the shit that was talked on that boat was just chef's kiss. It was great. And, and the beauty of it is every time I've done one of these trips, I have brought recording gear with me and recorded content for the show right there. I even did it when I was in Moosehead. We, did, we had no internet at all. I recorded a segment with Delirious Angler, and uh, we had ourselves a great time at, at Moosehead. It was awesome. That's and that cool. was up in Maine. I mean, yeah. That's, I think if I had any advice for anybody, travel. Yeah. Just grab, grab your rods, sleep in your car, and go. And, you know, the beauty about your podcast and going back full circle when that job offer was like, okay, how much would it take for you to quit your side job and stay here? Yep. And you named your price. When you think about how fortunate you were to not get that match, you know, oh, yeah. you not get what you you asked for. It's so beautiful to see how your podcast and what you're doing the Bobby Rose Beef brand now is taking you places. It's yeah. typically it's that. like my job is my job and I have to leave on vacation to forget about my job. Yeah. But it and it's such a beautiful there is an obstacle. Yeah. There but it's is just a beautiful obstacle. place in yep. in life at your point in life. Oh, your yeah. job is like my job is taking me. Whoops, sorry about that. My job is taking me to where I love to yes. do what I love to do. But you mentioned there's an obstacle. What is that obstacle? That that obstacle is that, so when you work for yourself, you don't get vacation time. Yeah. So like this recently, I was, my plan was to do some fishing in South Carolina. My, my wife and kids wanted to go back to the Myrtle Beach area. And I was like, let's do it. Let's go ahead. So we blocked out this week. It was awesome. And then I realized I was just like, man, I'm like, I, I have such a full schedule of events that week. That if I cancel all these events, and these are private events, they're residency events at bars and restaurants. But I'm like, I'm losing so much income that month. Specifically, I go, I said to my wife, I was like, you guys go take my credit card and have fun. You know, don't have too much fun, but have fun. And, you know, I will stay here and work that week. And I did some stuff while I was up here. I went, I fished every single day. You know, it was awesome. I, I think I don't think there was a day that I didn't have my kayak trailer on the back of my forerunner. Like there was there was every single day I was going out to somebody water and doing some sort of fishing. And it was a blast. I had a great time doing it. It was great. The challenge is I'll give you a perfect example. Like we're doing an appearance at uh, the Columbus, Ohio Fishing Expo in February with Dark Horse Tackle. Now, Dark Horse has been like Josh and Zach are amazing. Like those dudes are amazing. If this has been the perfect matchup of personality yep. and, and like-mindedness for growth um, that ever could have existed. Like it is fantastic. And they've been gracious enough to invite myself 
to be a part of their booth over at the Columbus Fishing Expo, which we're really looking forward to. In fact, if you're planning on being there, um, come by because they have a huge booth set up and I will be doing interviews. They're literally setting up a, like a TV set. It'll be like what Zach Galifianakis does that between two ferns. Kind yeah, of that's hilarious. It's going to be like that. So we're going to have a good time. But the challenge is, and I said to them initially when they put this bias, I was like, look, guys, I go just with the dates on that, just a factor in travel and make it work. I go not counting the expenses that it's going to cost me there. I'm forfeiting like X amount of dollars in income that week in order to just be there. So I'm already in the red going in there. And it's with a, a podcast like, yes, we have merch, but we're not looking to be an apparel company. We don't have a warehouse full of stuff to sell like with our brand. Like I, I know it's not popular, but our stuff is drop shipped from another company. Like the folks that the only thing that we do is our stickers. You know, and really, you have to kind of bump into one of us to get them. Like some folks have asked us to send them one. And and the uh, Dark Horse guys were gracious enough to include our stickers uh, in uh, in one of their boxes, which is fantastic. But that's like the only thing that we really have on hand. And primarily, it's just like I said, it's that's a whole other job, you know, the merchandising and everything and the, the shipping, taking orders, all that stuff. So we just kind of take the option that makes the most sense for us, which is the drop ship. So we work, you know, we set up our store and our merch gets sold that way. We don't have the ability to recoup that like another vendor from a booth at an expo. So doing an expo where I have to take time off makes it really tricky. And I came up with a plan and my plan was this. I said, look, if you guys can help me because you're closer to that area, if you can help me find a venue that's outside of the expo, because this won't work for the expo, because on the expo floor, you've got a bunch of vendors that are trying to inform and do sales and things like that. And I'm not into interrupting them. Let's do an after expo party where I'll do a live podcast recording right there. Now, we've done this in the past now two or three times, and each time has been really, really unbelievable. Very, very cool. Uh, the first one was the 100th episode, which was great. It was really awesome. We've done this a couple of times for the the Three Bells Outfitters events um, with uh, specifically their trifecta tournament that had previously gone on. Uh, and then, you know, I said, if, if we can find something, I'll handle making the deal. But, you know, this way I can sell tickets to an event and we'll do the event, but I can at least recoup some of what I'm losing, you know, on taking the time off to be able to go and do this. They said, absolutely. We put the pieces together and I think it's going to work out great. You know, we're actually we're trying to partner with some really cool brands to do some giveaways and some prizes. So all the ticket holders are going to be able to win some really, really cool stuff from brands that aren't necessarily just fishing based. Like we're there's bait companies involved, but there's also companies that make like really amazing bags that I love. Um, we've got a company that is a, uh, a spice company. That's got some products that they put together that are really popular. Um, and then, you know, I mean, some of the obvious, the regular hitters. So we've got great stuff that's going to be available. And this allows me to kind of lessen that impact of taking off, you know, two or three days in order to go and make this happen, which is a good thing. So I'm hoping I can maybe do a similar thing, you know, in the summer when I want to go and fish at the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, you know, and, and do something like that, go and fish out there, but maybe do a live show and, and fingers crossed that we've got the reach in that area to be able to draw enough people in to where I can recoup some costs that way by at least doing a live appearance. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a good way 
you know, with now with all the avenues of social media, you and yeah. have being able to have, you know, again, the brand behind or in front of the podcast mm-hmm. um, allows you to explore different venues, right? And, and it's it's an entertainment uh, concept where it's not just a podcast, but you can actually do other things that kind of complementary. So you're not just tied to a chair and a microphone yep. because you're able to move around and bring some sort of like entertainment value in different venues. And I think that's the beauty of it. And what gives that other element that I don't think everyone in the podcast world yeah. or the entertainment world has. And again, I go back to it's that beautiful merger of your DNA and your love of fishing, just yep. having that perfect marriage where one of them feeds the other and complements the other and heightens the other not just for you but the for our enjoyment and entertainment because at the end of the day we're the ones the ones that follow you the ones that listen to you the ones that are entertained by you are the ones who reap the benefit of this beautiful marriage you have like I mentioned of both sides of your world Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be a, a bass fishing show or if we hadn't talked a little bit more about bass fishing. So I wanted to kind of like pivot and talk about a couple of things in bass fishing. Let's you're a big fan of it. It's a big part of your show. It's a big part of what you're doing. What is your personal best small mouth and large mouth? My Yeah. So my, my personal best small mouth, geez, I forget the exact number. I'd have to look it up, but it's not huge. It was like, 2.6 2.6 pounds um, caught it on a Z-Man original green pumpkin chatterbait yo-yoing it off the bottom. And this was right before I started the podcast. So that was my, my PB smallmouth. I've never, I've never beaten that. I've gotten close, uh, but I've never beaten it. My personal largemouth. Now this is a story. <laughs> Go ahead. So my personal largemouth came in uh, May of 2021 and it was no I, t- I take that back it was april 2021 this was it was the day of my wedding anniversary that year so i had gone out real nice and early that morning with a close friend of the show chris dabari uh chris is a great dude he and chris has an interesting backstory as well um chris i i like to go and chris would laugh at me if i said this but chris is kind of a rock star you know he was in a uh really niche but very very popular like punk metal band called today is the day and uh Chris has had a lot of experiences uh, touring Um, specifically. I want to say it was either Japan or in Europe where they were touring with motorhead and motorhead. Yeah. They were touring with motorhead and, and he was sharing a bunch of stories with Lemmy. Now, mind you, it's April cold water, you know, Um, things are just starting to heat up around here. We tell folks all the time, start on that Northwest bank. Start on that northwest bank where that sunlight is hitting first. That's where your warmest water is going to be. And I got lucky because on that northwest bank, there happened to be some big rocks. So I felt really confident about this. And I was throwing like a 110 size uh, jerkbait. I'm I'm just working this jerkbait back. And the visibility up here, we have a lot of what I would say is clearer water, a lot of stained water, but like some decent visibility. You know, it's not weird to have you know, one to two feet of visibility, you know, up here. It's pretty common. When I fished in uh, Chickamauga, like it was like casting into Yoohoo. 
And we rarely <laughs> see that up here. It is, yeah, it's, it was, I was like, holy cow, what's going on? And we would catch them down there, but you just had to smack them in the face with whatever you were throwing and they would bite it. So that's how it went down there. Up here, I'm, I'm working this jerk bait and it just comes up to the bank. And right behind it, I see the face of this largemouth come into visibility. And I didn't think it was that big. This fish, one more twitch of that jerk bait, grabs the jerk bait and starts to head back out. I lean in and set the hook. Chris, seeing this, the rod just double over, jumps down this little, like, short little ravine and grabs this fish and hands it to me. 6.66 pounds, 22 inches long. Wow. An absolute beast. Um, I took all the measurements so that I could get a replica done. I still haven't done a replica. Uh, got a bunch of pictures, and the state of Massachusetts has a amazing, amazing uh, program where they award records and pins for uh, catch and release, which is awesome. So all you've basically got to do is submit pictures with the measurements and submit this, and I got a pin. I got my first ever state pin from that fish. It was out of this world hit first thing in the morning and there was nowhere else to go from there. I was just like, what do we do? So yeah, 6.66, which some people, you know, that's a number that resonates with some folks. I mean, up up there, that's, that's a big one. That's a big fish yeah. up here. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I have friends of mine and friends of the show that have made that look like a small fish, even locally. Like we do have big fish. The state record up here is 15 pounds. Yeah, um, that's amazing. But it's a, it, you know, again, there was different, you know, situation back then because on the eastern part of the state, you have a lot of bodies of water where the feed cycle is different. Plus, a lot of those lakes don't feed, don't freeze over nearly for as long as they do up here. So they're, they freeze over and then they let up. And then some winters, they don't freeze at all. So, you know, you have some different forage in those lakes too. Like you got blueback herring in there. And uh, out west here, we don't have that. So, there are bigger fish that are out there, but I have a theory that there is at least a couple big, big fish in every single body of water, but you've got to find them. Yeah. That's and the they, I mean, they got that big because they lived long they enough and, yeah, and yeah. they get smart, you know? Yeah. What is your favorite bait? That's you have to pick. Let me, let me, let me rephrase that question. Yep. You have one bait you can use for the rest of your life. Which bait is it? I'm going to leave it really, really broad. I'm going to say it's a jig, really broad. And the reason is this, is that um, you can do so much with a jig. Yep. It's so unbelievably versatile. So if I can only throw a jig, at least I can change out the trailer and make it more of a swimming action, something to, you know, emulate bait fish. Um, I can then change out and use it as a crawl sort of uh you know imitation um i can flip it into the heaviest to cover i can i can again like i can i can just swim it you know i can swim it right through weeds there is there's a lot that i can do um right now i'm torn between two one of them is a finesse jig uh what is it a three sixteenths ounce Three sixteen sounds finesse jig with this one trailer that I've been loving, but I've also been loving it with a two point eight inch Kytec as well. It's a Riot Tantrum, Riot Tantrum. It almost looks like a, a TRD style bait with little claws that come out about mid body. 
So it's a really compact looking uh, presentation. I wish I had a, I, I wish I had one of these these swim jigs on me. I'd show you. I love them. They, the the one specifically is from a company called Giltech, and uh, I got one in the, uh, the 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 creek box from Dark Horse Tackle, and I have been just lighting lighting them up on this jig. But again, with a swim bait on the back, great little moving presentation. Really, really finessey. I probably would lead toward that finesse jig actually as that one because I feel really confident that I. I can get bit on it more than I can a bulkier presentation, but yeah, a jig in general, that's going to be my go-to. And then thinking about it, that kind of is like a dumb question in my part because it's jigs and bigs. I would have yeah. thought, yeah, that's Everybody that was pretty upset. Everybody <laughs> would have think, oh, crankbait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, what if it's, it's not crankbaits and bigs. <laughs> uh, it's funny though, my list of of confidence baits it has changed so much over the last handful of years. Um, you know, I would have told you up and down that, yeah, there was a square bill or a rattle trap would have been uh, in my in my top tier. But over like the last couple of years, I've realized that something as simple as a jig head with a paddle tail swim bait is yeah. lethal, you know, much more than anything that makes any noise. Yeah, it's it's interesting how, um, you know, not just the evolution of baits, but the evolution of one as an angler. Yep. Like I'm. Two years ago, you'd have told me after like, oh, 90% of the time I'm throwing a jackhammer. Now I kind of rarely throw it. I still love mm -hmm. it. I feel it's a great bait, probably one of the best baits out there. But it's one of those things where like, I don't know if it's more like I'm not getting the results that I wanted to and I want to change. Or is it me just want to evolve and not just be a one hit wonder kind of thing. Yep. Now one, one bait wonder, if that's more of a pl applicable term. What is in your bucket list of fisheries that you want to hit oh man falcon lake oh the history just draws me to that that's that's one for sure um clear lake in california i want i want to go to california and like f there are folks that are in california that i've had had the opportunity to just meet through the show that i just want to fish with um, and that's the other thing to me, too, that's really important is the fishing is great, but the fishing community is even greater. I yeah. love getting on the water and just spending a day just talking with folks and doing all this other stuff. Um, so like Falcon Lake, definitely for the history. I would uh, I would really Falcon Lake in Texas. Right. No, I don't know if there's another Falcon Lake. Yeah, that's the that's one. I figured. Yeah. 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 And I mean, that was like, was it the nineties? Like that was the spot for like yeah. a lot of the Bassmasters. Yeah. That, that one is, there's just a lot of history there. Um, a lot of people talk about, you know, Lake Fork, Gunnersville. I've had the luxury of being able to fish Chickamauga. I want to go back. Um, I would love to fish for giant smallies in either the Great Lakes or uh, Lake St. Clair. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of want to fish it all, you know? that's that's the hardest question for me to answer <laughs> well and it, that's it should it should be that way right you don't want to you want to evolve you want to grow that's that's the whole thing of doing this yeah. right picking the hardest sport to do and just kind of like evolve from there and make it a challenge every single time yeah for sure if you couldn't fish for bass yep bass no longer existed what would be your targeted species bowfin bowfin Yep. Never that 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 is interesting. Never heard anybody say bowfin before of all my years to well not all my years. We've been doing the podcast for two or three years now. But mm -hmm. yeah, and bowfin, it's interesting. We have it in Texas. I've never caught one. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I probably wouldn't even know what it looks like. Why bowfin though? 
I I've only ever caught one and I I got to tell you so I in the, the bowfin I caught was not huge. It was about 18 inches long. Not giant by any stretch of the word, but it it hit on a Texas rigged 5-inch Senko. And they're they're challenging I think to catch. They're they're kind of elusive. I know some folks around here that catch them all the time. Um but the fight is out of this world. I think pound for pound, they're the best fighters that are out there. When this fish hit this Senko, I saw the line moving and I just, this was all on finesse gear too. I reeled down and I, I leaned in to, to set the hook. And once that, that fish realized it was hooked, it was like I had a pit bull that regularly does CrossFit on the line. Like that's, that's what, what I, the only thing I can, I can, I can, you know, compare it to, I still have in my truck, that EWG hook, which is mangled. It's entirely twisted because once that fish got into the net, it was just like death roll city. It was bananas. They're just so unbelievably cool. Uh, they have interesting color patterns. I would lump snakehead into that as yeah. well. Um, that's for awesome. sure. Very similar. Yep, I would definitely lump Snakehead in there. We don't have them up here yet. I've heard in, I think last year, there was some ponds that are, I think, further out east where folks have caught them, but it's only a matter of time. We're going to end up with them up here at some point. Um, yeah, I would say both in are, are one that I would 100% target. They're just, they're so unbelievably cool. Um, I also have a soft spot for pickerel. I love chain pickerel. Yeah. You know? Um I feel like I haven't caught them in some of my regular bodies of water in a long time, but yeah, I, I'm into that. That's awesome. Well, Bobby, I've had you for almost two hours, or actually a little bit more than two hours, and I really appreciate I love your time. And I, it's been—I'm not saying this because you're on the podcast right now, because this has really, truly been one of my favorite recordings. Um, oh, everything awesome. what I would expect that when I listened to your podcast, I was like, yeah, I can't wait to have Bobby on my podcast and talk about bass yeah. fishing and your podcast and your media. Uh, I wanted to give you a couple of minutes to plug in. I know you kind of plugged in some of your partners, but again, take your time to plug in some of uh, the people that work you, that make your life in the podcast and whatever else in the fishing makes your life easier. And also where can people follow you? Where can people listen to you? Um, for And what else should we expect from jigs and bigs either in the immediate or distant future cool awesome so uh the, the jigs and bigs can be heard on pretty much every major podcast platform that's out there uh you know the biggest ones that folks listen to are apple podcasts and spotify but all of that smaller ones like pocket cast and all that stuff we're available everywhere even on amazon on audible on iHeart, you name it. If you listen to whatever your your perspective platform is, you can find Jigs and Bigs there. And if you're not what I consider a podcast person, like you just don't get it, go to jigsandbigs.com slash podcast. You can listen to the show, stream it right there. Super easy. As far as partners go, we currently have three partners that we're working with. Uh, and I want to give a couple of shout outs for just companies that... Yeah. Uh, are going to soon become partners or that have just been there from the beginning. Uh, so the first one we want to thank is three bells outfitters. 
Three Bells hooks us up with uh, our kayaks that we regularly use. They also handle the service, uh, and they've been really, really fantastic to us. Um, second up is Tor Edge sunglasses. I think for the money, Tor Edge offers a product that you cannot beat um, and a warranty to back it up. And you you can you can buy multiple pairs for the price of one of those other major fishing sunglasses companies. And this way, you've got different lens colors and backups and things like that at an affordable price. Great product. Love Torres. Uh, third one is Dark Horse Tackle. If you're an angler and you've had it with the conventional uh, subscription box experience that you've been getting, then you need to take a hard look at Dark Horse Tackle because what they're offering yeah. you is some fantastic stuff. I just got my new one in the mail yesterday. Dude, I got a Picasso freaking shock blade in there. Like... We were just talking about those on the show. Crazy, unbelievable baits that are not easy to just discover conventionally. Mm -hmm. uh, this is going to introduce you to some new stuff and challenge you a little bit, too. And you might find a new favorite bait like I found that finesse jig. Um, so it's a great, great package. They do the BYOB uh, program over there, which, by the way, I think that there's a sale going on yeah. now for the BYOB. So if that's a good thing. And if you're listening to the show, you're already a, a member and you want to, you know, invite or, or do something to, to maybe bring a friend in. Now they're offering gift cards. So if you want to get a gift card and somebody does a BYOB or they want to apply to a subscription or something, they've got that available Go for it. It's awesome. It's so this way, this this holiday season, you can give the gift of Dark Horse without necessarily having a subscription that somebody's like got to dive into. They could do a BYOB and sample it. Um, Want to give a shout out to uh, 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 Nakwa. Nakwa is a battery company that produces, I think, some of the most lightweight, smallest footprint batteries that are out there. They power my electronics. They power uh, Sean's electronics. And uh, they also power all kinds of other accessories with their power bank. So that's awesome. Hookset Hoodlums. Love Hookset Hoodlums. Hookset Hoodlums has been there for us since day one. They are the jigs and bigs ride or die. Just our homies. We love them. Um, amazing apparel. Really, really fresh, interesting designs. And a true, they're not your standard, typical uh, apparel company at all. So check out hooksethoodlums.com. You can even buy their stuff on Amazon as well. Uh, who else did I want to mention? A-Bay Lure. A-Bay Lure Lab is sort of one of the newer uh, sort of homies that we've brought into the Jigs and Bigs world. A-Bay Lure Lab has some of the most amazing custom-painted baits that are available, but also A-Bay is a code word for Alexandria Bay. They are located up on the St. Lawrence River in Alexandria Bay near Thousand Islands. Like, it is a fishing destination, and they're in the lodging game up there as well. So if you want to go and connect with a guide or something, A-Bay Lure can direct you in, like, some really, really great places to stay to kind of make your your experience in alexandria bay thousand islands sort of like that much more amazing so those are really the companies if i forgot anybody i'm a, i'm an absolute a-hole i apologize <laughs> <laughs> these things happen um and uh yeah armando thank you dude for doing this i appreciate it let's get you after you're back from vacation let's schedule a, a spot for you to get on jigs and bigs and we'll dive into your podcast history all this kind of stuff we'll have a great conversation i actually think it'll be uh, absolutely awesome and probably very interesting for the listeners to hear plus you know we'll, we'll we'll give it that old jigs and bigs flair we'll talk a lot of restaurants and stuff too i'm sure no, we'll talk anything but i and i appreciate it you know when i bring my guests in i, I don't add in anything 
other than bring your best to the show. Yeah. So I appreciate yeah. bringing me. It would be my honor to be on the Jigs and Bigs. Uh, and hopefully we can make it memorable. But I, sure. yeah, I do. I do. It would be an honor to be on your podcast. That's for sure. What can people expect from Jigs and Bigs? You know, what what's coming down the pipeline? What so, are you planning to do in meet and greets? I know you mentioned something about doing live videos and stuff like that. So we're doing uh, in January, we're doing our 200th episode celebration, which is uh, it's going to be a fundraiser for Veterans Inc. Veterans Inc. is a company uh, or, a, or an organization that helps veterans, provides veteran services for like job placement, things like that. And, and even beyond, it's a it's a it's a big ordeal. Sean, the fisherman had previously worked uh, at Veterans Inc. Um, so it's near and dear to the Jigs and Bigs family. So we want to do something really good and actually both uh, uh, Sean and Joe are uh, veterans. So anytime that, you know, obviously that that means a lot to everybody. Anytime we can help out. So there's that going on. But what makes it really cool? That event is a game dinner. It's going to be so fun. And we actually we're in the process right now trying to figure out the menu. So we've got this game dinner happening. We're going to record a live show. We've got lots of giveaways and raffles and stuff that are going to be going on. It'll be absolutely out, out of this world. We've got the Columbus Fishing Expo in Columbus, Ohio. I'll be there that entire weekend with the Dark Horse Tackle Team. And then at Old Fields in Columbus on Saturday night at 7 p.m. The This is February 10th. Uh, we are doing our live show there. Tickets will be available all over Instagram. Uh, and also, yeah, just check Instagram. You'll see all the links and everything on our uh, link tree up there. And uh, what else do we have going as far as other big shows? I have uh, a potential live show that I'm trying to put together in the Midwest. Um, a little bit further west. I'm thinking Minnesota, something like that would be would be great. But that's still very in the early, early stages. As far as the video goes, that's going to take some time. We'll get there. We'll get there over time. But uh, the biggest thing is that we're about to hit 100K as far as total downloads, which we are delighted. That's about. awesome. Yeah, we're really, really excited about that. And when I say like we're close, we're like less than 700 plays away. So it's going to happen in weeks, if that. Um, and that's, that's pretty much for us, you know, uh, what, what, what we've got kind of, uh, happening. Oh, well, actually, let me, there's one other thing I should mention. So Go ahead, man. we, so we do almost famously, we've been doing these multi-species online tournaments with fishing chaos and they, we'd alternated months with an organization that was, was kind of like utilizing our platform and we were utilizing their sort of footprint to put this together. And uh, starting next year, we're exclusively doing our own tournaments, multi-species scavenger hunt tournaments. And there's been a change to the rules. Uh, it sort of levels the playing field a little bit. But when I say this is a, a scavenger hunt of sorts, the way it works is simple. We have 22 different species. These are nationwide tournaments. 22 different species. It's like Pokemon. Gotta catch them all. As many as you can catch, you earn a point per. And if we have any ties, they get broken by total length. The full rules are, are available on Fishing Chaos. I recommend go to Fishing Chaos, download that app, search Jigs and Bigs, and you'll find us on there. Find those tournaments. We're currently in one in September right now, which, by the way, I'm doing terrible in. I've got three points and uh, I was in the money last month for the first time ever. So I'm hoping to be able to re uh, you know, kind of, kind of get back on the horse maybe this weekend, but in October, 
we're starting that new format where we've just got 22 different species, no extra points for Lunker, nothing like that. So it really does kind of even it out. Go catch a yellow perch, go catch a bowfin, go catch, you know, a large mouth, a small mouth, go catch a bunch of different trout, go catch a bunch of different catfish, carp, good stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. It's uh, it sounds fun. putting the fun back in fishing. That's what we're trying to do. Man, it's been a pleasure, Bobby, to have you on the show. Really is an honor. And, and thank you. Definitely you. you're welcome to come back anytime. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Just let me know when. Yeah, definitely. And we wish you the best uh with uh jigs and bigs. I know this is an ever-changing yep. um environment and with technology and what's the next big thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. hard to you know, you blink and, and you miss an opportunity, but we really enjoy listening to you, watching um, your content. And uh, we, we wish you the best moving forward, man. And we want to see this keeps growing and growing and, you know, brings us laugh and entertainment and enjoyment just as much as we get it from fishing. So, again, thank you for coming on to the show um, and spending the last two hours. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I really do. So for those out there listening, remember, you can follow us on Instagram, Bass Kayak and Beers, Facebook, YouTube. This is a pre-recorded episode. It's not going to be a live show, but when we get back, we'll get back to the live show sometime in middle of October. So thanks again for tuning in. If you're going to be on the water, please wear your PFDs. If you're going to have a couple of beers, just make sure you drink responsibly. Get Stay safe, everyone. Peace out. Me.